The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Burial the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is a network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. Let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping a Strong Style, the Ace of Podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith and Chris Samsa. On today's show, we will review Wrestling Don Taku and preview Best of Super Juniors 30 and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level, you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy Chris, how you guys doing? Good evening. Chilling. <laughs> 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 Had a lot of technical snafus to get to uh, where we're at right now to record this show. Was that we had technical snafus? I- we collectively, all one, of us. One, one of us. All of us. One. We are all one. <laughs> I don't know. I was on, uh, and almost on time even. So, and uh, my video worked. Man, y- y'all exposing yeah, the business. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're on a we're on a time crunch here today, young boy. I mean, not really. Like when your- this is like the WWE Network. We can pretty much do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> How I don't I don't understand the correlation, but I'm just, like we're not on pay per view, so we're not going to get like mm, bump for mm, time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although I wish people would pay us for the show. I wish people would pay me for anything. <laughs> well, uh, speaking that's a of, whole nother story. <laughs> speaking of that, we did get a nice whole nother story here. <laughs> we did get a nice little message here from a uh, true life soldier. He said, "A uh, long time listener, first time emailer." I sent a small donation not too long ago after feeling a bit cheap for having enjoyed your great podcast for many years free of cost. 
Thanks for your great work. You guys are truly the Ichibans of wrestling podcasts. You did awesome alone last week, Jeremy. I usually don't listen to podcasts with only one speaker, but I gave it a shot with keeping a strong style, and it was excellent. No complaints here. It was really entertaining. With me being a huge LIJ fan, my favorite episode of Keeping a Strong Style is still when you guys and Rich ripped a new one on Evil after he beat Naito for the double championships at Dominion 2020. The verbal beatdown was highly therapeutic for me. Thanks again. Uh, so thanks for this uh, kind message here. True Life Soldier, thanks for the donation and the years of, of loyal listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. Not only do we uh, appreciate your monetary donation, but the kind words and affirmations are always welcome and uh, you know, glad that we are able to make an impact in your life. Um, Jeremy, I did listen to the episode last week. Thanks for holding things down, and I thought you did a great job as well. Thank you. And we have a listener question here for Chris uh, from Rices. says, what is the most obscure uh esoteric stat you have ever tracked and how <laughs> it's probably tag league um um ring time so like actual like legal time during tag league that's the most probably obscure it's like super useful and fun though so i really like to do that one um so i guess really what what the the actual obscure stat there is probably like tags per win or tags per loss in a tag league performance mm. um i have a really good time with that but it's totally it's pretty out there um do, do you ever track the ring time of the individual from each tag team yeah that's what i mean oh shit you really oh, yeah. do that so like during tag league <laughs> um oh, I, I did not i skipped tag league last year i didn't cover it at all um i just took some time uh to live a life that is not that does not revolve around counting tags um but yeah so when i when i cover tag league i cover like the legal time in the ring so and i did it i think i started doing it for junior tag league um and then um world tag league and then then what i track is tags per win and tags yeah. per loss um and they honestly correlate or not really sort of some interest so like um it was really the 2019 tag league that i got like really into it and i think i did it again in 2020 um actually i know i did it again in 2020 but yeah the there was a couple of cool instances where like um someone was legal for like a really significant portion of the losses or the wins um i can't think of exactly what the situation was but like as the tournament went on it was like if say like Ishii was legal for more than half the match that that team was going to win or if, or if you know whoever Ishii was partnering with that year was legal for more than half then they were more likely to lose it's um, like Bishamon it's like over under like if they tag in more than four times they win if it's less than yeah they're right gonna lose <laughs> no yeah that's exactly what it is yeah so so yeah the tag league stuff when I when I you know and I think this year I'll probably get back into that I, you know, I had to skip it last year, but, um, that's the stuff that's like, it's super out there. It's really just for me. You you could um, probably tell us like who the Iron Man of the tournament is though. Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that year, I mean, there was a match, it was like the second to last match or is the, yeah, second to last block match. And like Ishii was legal for like 20 minutes of like a brawl. 
and then he got pinned in the in the final you know block match or, or you know I, I may have the details wrong but it was something like that and it ended up like really paying off the story and i was like it was one of those like i did it like i i i figured something out that like added and enhanced the story and that's always kind of my objective anyway so um but yeah the, anything i do for tag league is is kind of the most obscure stuff for a while i was doing like g1 pin attempts and like really like <laughs> you know super detail i mean you can do that with like the containment of a tournament yeah i could i could never do that i mean i already track winning and losing falls for everything um but like in the in a tournament like that that's really engaging for me i can count like you know pin attempts and submission attempts and things like that and i did that for for a couple of g1s but it didn't really ever pay off um what you know, people... some wrestlers just try to pin a lot and some don't, and it didn't really correlate to the result. And I'm always looking for things that are going to correlate to the results. Right. I think what everyone is really wondering is, are you tracking Tamashi? And what are Liber Lucci's pin <laughs> attempt stats looking like? You know what? No, I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm watching Tamashi. Oh, you are? Well, the... The, the last cycle hasn't gone up yet. Is that right? Right. Not yet. But yeah. When it I'm does, waiting for that one. I've heard some really great things about that set. Two of us. Us two. We are it. Yeah. We're the ones watching. You and me. <laughs> I, listen, I love that. I mean, I, I watch a lot of like indies and stuff too. So like, yeah. I like the, I like the lack of spectacle, I guess. So like, and I love strong. So I may as well just continue loving the kind of adjacent version of it. Plus, I mean, they're getting some really cool. I mean, Eagles and Shingo. I mean, that sounds that's like that's gonna be awesome. that's like that's like my heart match. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I heard Eagle, those about that match. Pretty much my two favorite guys. So, I think the most obscure thing I've ever asked our fans to track was that stat about star ratings for Evil and then match length, and then people went out and did it and it literally amounted to nothing. And then I felt really bad. I asked everybody to go do homework. (laughs) 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 It didn't prove anything. My, my hypothesis was completely bullshit. There used to be, I can't remember who, but someone used to track a lot of really cool star rating stuff. Maybe it was one of the voices of wrestling guys or somebody, somebody adjacent there that they would correlate like star ratings with attendance with, uh, you know, I've seen hard. I've seen like a stat where match time is correlated to Dave's star ratings, and it's always like the longer the match, generally speaking, it's a higher star rating. That's well, that, probably true. Yeah, I mean, I just knowing right. what I know it's of Dave's ideals. True. Yeah, I would imagine that that's true. I mean, most of the time when you're when you're in a match that's getting a lot of time, it's because there's some confidence that it's going to be good. And then you know the pandemic happened and kind of threw that out the window because the match the match has got longer and longer and longer. But like. I think in general, you're typically only going to send out guys that can that can produce in yeah, and give them a half hour or whatever, forty five minutes or you know, an hour. Well, speaking of great performances, I think we got some uh, awards to give out this month. Yeah, so we got to do the April Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month. So for the Wrestler of the Month, I guess slash Wrestlers of the Month, we're going to go with Aussie Open. They had an incredible April. They won the IWGP Tag Team Titles, defended them twice. They they won a strong open weight tag team titles, defended those as well against Ishii and Leo Rush. 
Um, and then uh, they had that match at uh, Wrestling Satsuma no Kuni defending against uh, TMDK. So just overall, just a really great month for Aussie Open. Plus, you throw in all the uh, multi-man stuff throughout the Rotan Taku tour. Um, you know, Kyle Fletcher killing himself twice <laughs> within the month on the guardrails. <laughs> just an awesome month for these guys. Yeah, I tried to throw out some alternatives like, you know, Sonata and Hiromu and, you know, Ishii, Okada. And there's they had some great months as well. But like what Jeremy pointed out is like with Aussie Open, not only do you have high quality, but also high quantity in spades. So every every match they had was fantastic and they had a lot of them. And in kayfabe, they, you know, won both tag team titles in the span of a month. Like it's kind of crazy. So, yeah, and already and they're defenses. They're clearly taking the advice of of Will Osprey and just working everywhere and and putting in everything they can, because um, that that's been his approach, you know, on the years that he's really on, on his game, and it seems like Aussie Open's kind of the tag team version of that, where they're just they're taking bookings and other places, they're getting on the planes, they're going to where they need to go, and they're they're showing up at a hundred percent everywhere they go, and and I think that that's pretty cool too to see from a tag team and. You know, when when you think about tag teams or like the best tag teams in the world, like I think a lot of people are still pointing to FTR. And, you know, I think FTR kind of did that last year, but under the guise of seeking all those titles. And, you know, to some extent, I think Aussie Open's kind of doing the same thing, but they're also they're also just showing up at a really high level. And, and, you know, their style is much less. I mean, it's much more. uh, I guess you could say dangerous. I mean, Kyle Fletcher is a, a you know, is a magnet for a guardrail. So, <laughs> um, you know, these they're they are to me like the tag team version of Will Ospreay's twenty twenty two, which is like go everywhere, work hard, you know, high volume, but in a lot of different rings too. And I think that that's really cool. And you know, I can't point to anything that Aussie Open did outside of New Japan in this particular month but that's definitely their their approach they just showed up on ring of honor again you know they're they're around and i think that's really neat well here's the funny thing with that is like you make a great point chris me and jeremy we didn't take that into account at all because when we usually do these like wrestler of the month stuff we're only thinking of the central internal kayfabe of new japan and maybe if there's like a tiebreaker we might take the outside stuff into consideration but like when you think about what you just mentioned, everything else they're doing, it's like, dude, they had a monster month and they're having a monster year. And it's going to be really hard for any other tag team out there to win tag team of the year. And we're only in May. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. And, and Bishamon exists. I mean, then they're still yeah. great. And they had a, um, they had a defining tag team title run this year. And we're not even like, we're like, yeah, it's going to be tough for Bishamon to, to catch up to Aussie open at this point. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Bishamon and Aussie Open, Josh, let the listeners know what our match of the month is for April. Yeah, so um, it's probably not a surprise to anybody, but uh, this month's match of the month is Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, the team of Bishamon, against Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis, the team of Aussie Open, for the IWGB Tag Team Titles at Sakura Genesis earlier in the month. And what a great match. Dave Meltzer gave this four and three quarters. It got a 9.0 on cage match. Uh, we were really, really torn between this match and um, what was the other one? It was uh, Shingo and 
Hanari. Was it Shingo and Taichi or the Hanari match? Because some people liked the that match even better than this one. Yeah, the Hanari. Or is that in May? The Hanari match got five and a quarter from Dave. Um, the Taichi okay. match, yeah, that was yeah Satsuma no Kuni, so that that would have counted for April also. Gotcha, and I mean that's two incredible match outputs from Shingo, and both of those would have been in close contention and. You know, ultimately, we kind of had to go with our gut. And yeah, it's this tag match. And if you haven't seen it, go out of your way and check it out. It was really incredible. And we crowned a champion. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was only, what, 15 minutes or so, right? But it was just, it was a sprint, which, mm-hmm. you know, who doesn't love a tag team sprint between some really good wrestlers? So I loved, 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 loved that match. I liked the both the KOPW matches too. Um, they i love the format of the k the two kopw matches um but i i think that they could have done something a little bit different with like how they executed the format i don't think they needed the 45 minutes to an hour or whatever they were but yeah um not to say that they didn't perform um because those matches are they were awesome i mean they're, they're all kind of at the same level but the tag match, you know, a great tag sprint that I think is going to mean something as the year goes on, too. I think that, that that's really neat. Not that the KOPWs won't, but um, I love to see two really high-level tag teams, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth in New Japan. It's been a while since we saw something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm loving the, the state of the tag division right now. And I'll see what Aussie Open kind of leading that division. You know, great things are happening and more great things are to come. But uh, now this is probably not a surprise to anybody. I'm excited about the state of basically everything in the entirety of New Japan right now, including the show we're about to review. <laughs> yeah, so let's jump into it. Uh, Wrestling Dontaku happened uh, May 3rd from the Fukuoka Convention Center. We had a sold out crowd of 4,489. I know there's been some debate on whether or not that's a true sellout crowd because I do think Fukuoka can hold up to like 6,000, but. I know I think some people are saying because of the COVID restriction, certain prefectures are still restricting the number of people. Also, there was a bigger stage that was set up that was used for a stardom show the following day. So a couple of different theories going around to why they didn't uh, do max capacity, but they sold all the tickets that were, were on sale for the show, though. And so let's and the stage looked awesome. The stage did look awesome. I, I do think that there is something to the idea that like. You know, uh, I've heard uh, different voices kind of say, like, if they could have sold more, they would have. At the same time, I don't know if you can just willy-nilly get rid of a stage like that on short notice, and that might actually be a legit thing. I don't know. Uh, It's hard to say, but I do think it's a good number. Maybe it's not the most impressive number that New Japan could have done here, but it's a healthy number, and it's a really good sign. And, you know, we knew that this was sold out a long time ago this what it didn't just happen last week or two weeks ago it happened right when the tickets went on sale so you would think that if they were under the impression that they could get more people in the building they would have made those accommodations weeks ago and they seem resigned for whatever reason to just settle on this sellout number yeah well let's dive into the matches here and uh break them down and Get all the way to the exciting stuff that happened towards the end of the show. So we opened up. We had the chaos team of Bishamon, Toriano, and Yo defeating the House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil, Show, and Yujiro Takahashi. Three minutes 
and 37 seconds. Um, so this was kind of playing off what we saw on the Road 2 Tour with House of Torture attacking Bishamon and Aussie Open. They stole the IWGP Tag Team titles from Aussie Open. And uh, so this match was, um, like I mentioned, pretty quick brawl here, uh, which led to Aussie Open coming out. Kind of got a little Heyman special here with them coming coming to re- revive their tag titles which led to um, Ocon and Aussie Open defeating the TMDK team of Vegeta, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Hayes. So kind of combining those two matches, what did you guys think about the, the opening of the show here? I think the lamest way to earn yourself a title shot is to steal the belts for like two nights. Because uh, they like this happened. That happened like a couple of nights before Dantaku and then... Um, you know, Fletcher and Davis come get their belts back and basically give them a title shot. And I, I think that that's, I don't know, amateur at best, but, um, you know, not, not the end of the world. I, I love a Heyman special. I love when a match bleeds into the next match and it's just kind of, you just keep on going. Um, both these matches were under, I mean, what, three and a half and five and a half. So like in total, they were like nine minutes long, um, which, is fine considering how the rest of the re- the rest of the card shook out. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you're gonna do what are essentially like road two style matches on the undercard of a big show like this, it's good to keep them short, keep them punchy, let them be involved in you know furthering a storyline to set up for the next show, and kind of just be fun in there. And that's sort of what this was. Um, I kind of agree with you, Chris. It, it is kind of lame that someone just can steal a belt and then claim a title shot. Um, you know, if you think about it in terms of other sports, right? If someone would like won the world series and you steal their fucking ring, does that make you <laughs> the champion of the world series? Like only in wrestling does this, and does this logic apply because you're not, not the champion just because someone took your physical trophy away from you. You know what I mean? But they're right. like, we're the champions. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, I want my belt back so I can prove it. They're like, no, bro, you stole from me. I'm getting a res- I'm, I'm going to press charges. Call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. But um, yeah, this, this definitely rings of what we saw last year with like Fale and Chase Owens when they got uh, inserted into the title feud and then it, somehow wound up with the titles <laughs> yeah let's hope oh, we yeah. don't have the same they result they did here. win the titles didn't they you forgot about that huh i did which is like it's it's giving me deja vu and like a little bit of panic attack i'm like oh god is house torture about to upend all the good work that's being done with the the tag titles right now uh let's hope not yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> but uh yes kyle did he got the mic and did uh challenge bishamon and house of torture for a three-way match so that was made official uh for dominion and uh like i mentioned uh united empire won uh, their matchup against tmdk which kind of closed off the few that they had going on on this tour uh, then following that, we had the Jet Setters, Kevin Knight and Kushida, teaming up with the Roughneck, Shota Umino. And they defeated Aaron Hanare and Catch 2-2 when Kushida got a nice little inside cradle on TJP. Yeah, so I mean, what is that now? Is that two times that Kushida has pinned TJP recently? So I think on the title match... Akira got it was Knight that got the pin. Yeah, Knight pinned Akira, 
And then this was this time Kushida pinned TJP. The other multi-man's uh, catch two two have been winning after the title match, so this was the first time TJP got pinned in the rivalry. Hmm, gotcha. I still feel like there's going to be implications from this match going into Super Juniors when these guys face off against each other because they are in the same block, I believe, right? Yeah. So Kushida and TJP oh, both are in the A block, and then yeah. Knight and uh, Akira are in the B block. Yeah, so I mean, TJP is going to be on the the lookout for revenge in the A block when these guys face off because, you know, it's pretty rare that we even see him ever lose, really. Yeah, and so, yeah, kind of an interesting way to keep this feud going. Chris, you got some stats on that? Yeah. Well, I was going to say TJP is, he's never faced Kushida, so that's a first time singles match. So that, that maybe that's what they're building towards. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great matchup, and we'll we'll get to that when we oh, yeah. talk about the tournament. Uh, so following that, we had uh, just five guys: Doki, Taichi, and Kanamaru, defeating Lij's Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito. So another match is kind of continuing this feud that we've been kind of seeing spill out this, this month with the just five guys and. Lij and that kind of you know would lead to you know eventually the main event where Sonata and Hiromi would face off, and then uh, yeah, I think this is a feud that we're going to see continue throughout the year. It's kind of like House of Torture and Chaos last year, where it's kind of just going to interweave itself with everything that's happening, and sometimes it's going to elevate up, and sometimes it's going to live kind of here, and sometimes it's going to live in both places. I mean, I just want to point out Taichi. Beat Shingo for the KOPW. Then LIJ loses this multi man. LIJ in the mud, bro. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> Put them in the bin. Pack them up. In the mud. I mean, they're they're potentially the most babyface unit in New Japan right now. So you got to figure they're going to eat some L's and then they're going to get their big W's eventually down the line. Yeah. So then following, following that is where the uh, <laughs> the big meat of the show really began here. The first title match. So we had the strong openweight title. The first time the strong title being defended in Japan. And the champion Kenta defended against Hikaleo and failed to retain. Hikaleo defeats Kenta nine minutes in 45 seconds. And we have a new strong openweight champion. Yeah. Um, Hikaleo continues to get kind of big ish spots in Japan. And I think that that's something worth noting. Um, you know, he had the big Jay white, uh, situation and then he beat Kenta here. So, um, yeah, he's, he's getting those spots and they're not putting him in those spots necessarily in the U S which is interesting because he's, he's based here as far as I know. Um, so the match itself was fine. I think Hikaleo has his limitations, but, and I don't think he's ever going to be like, the classic monster guy, but he's, he's big like that. So he's kind of got to work some of that style. Um, but I think Kenta, Kenta was the, was a good foil for him. Um, you know, and I think that the strong title is a, a good lane for him to, you know, kind of build up his, his, uh, report. Yeah. You know, I seen a lot of hate for this match online. A lot of people that were just not satisfied with it. Um, pretty much bad reviews across the board, almost every outlet. And I don't know. I felt like 
people were just a, a bit harsh on this, you know, and I'm not trying to be an apologist for it and claim it was the greatest thing that ever happened. But I mean, we, I don't know, people that have been paying attention to New Japan, I mean, it's not like it's a big secret that Kenta hasn't been knocking it out of the park in this title run or in his recent string of singles matches. You know, I think you probably have to go back to like maybe the G1 last year to find like a quality Kenta match. You know what I mean? And I thought Hikaleo was good. Um, I don't think he looks right now like the world beater that they are probably hoping that he will become down the line. But I still feel like he's really solid. And I don't know if it's bias on our part because, you know, you and me, Jeremy, we've been like on the Hikaleo bandwagon probably since the early days when he first started coming out as like, uh, what, what, Leo Tonga? Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't that his name? Yeah, I think so for a little bit, yeah. But um, I thought the match was fine. I I didn't think it was bad. And a lot of people thought it was really, really bad. But um, I thought he looked, I thought, Hikaleo looked pretty good here. I thought that he made the most out of his big spots that they gave him. Um, Obviously, there was a lot of shenanigans in the middle of the match with the ref bump and the kendo stick and everything like that. Um, But ultimately, I mean, this was a pretty defining moment for Hikaleo. I thought he got a good response from the crowd. I thought this was like a solid, I don't know, three-star match. Like nothing, I would say, go out of your way and watch, but nothing I would say like go ahead and skip. And it's got like a like a four or something. Dave gave it like a two. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I think when it comes to New Japan, anytime you have a ref bump and outside interference, I think people are, are immediately going to be turned off. You're going to get low star ratings. Mm. Um, you know, the whole build to this match was, you know, Kenta beating down Hikaleo with the Kendo stick. So that came into play. Like you mentioned, we had the ref bump towards the middle of the match, and Kenta once again got the... The candlestick, he you know gave uh, Hikaleo some shots there. He hit Jado with it as well, uh, but then Hikaleo was able to uh, come back and he broke the candlestick and um, you know got the new ref in there and he uh, hit the big choke slam uh, for the win. And I don't think this match was really designed to really show off all of Hikaleo's strength. I think they were just trying to continue the whole candlestick story and, and get heat on Kenta. Um, I, I do think Hikaleo. Do you know what I think? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, so I, I do think Hikaleo is. Uh, I think he, he's got there's something with him. I think. I think that he should continue to use him in in big spots. I th- I know people are kind of down on him, but I definitely think that there there's some stuff to him. I'll tell you what I think the biggest issue is when it comes to Hikaleo, and it's not his work necessarily or him. I think it's the way they're laying the matches out for him. They're laying them out very much like a traditional New Japan match. But he's sort of like the baby face. They've got him playing like baby face in peril. They've got him doing a lot of selling and, and stuff like that. And a guy his size with his stature, I think you've got to do one of two things. And I mean, maybe it's a little, you know, narrow minded and putting someone in a box. But I think you either have him be the big, scary villain and turn him heel and have him dominate most of the match where he's the one getting the heat on them, not the other way around. Or he's a dominant, badass babyface who fucking kills people. They don't have him doing that right now. They have him working long-style matches, which is it's fine. Um, but I don't think he, even though I think he's a solid hand, I don't think he's shown himself to be adept at doing all that. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's kind of just this weird 
sort of like he's in this liminal space. Like he needs to be a little bit more defined as like a dominant figure one way or the other, not this in-between thing that they've got him doing right now. Uh, and this is a good step in the right direction, having him win the title. Um, I did think that that spot that they had where Kenta gave him like the low blow and the shining wizard for half second, I thought he was done. We're seeing, uh, I mean, the, the Hikaleo thing is pretty indicative of, of what we're seeing with a lot of the younger guys that are coming in right now. So they're all getting every opportunity mm. to get in front of the fans in kind of bigger spots, right? Hikaleo, Ren Narita, Shoto Amino. I'm sure we're going to talk about Suji, right? Like, um, Why would we even, talk about Suji? He's in rep. I don't Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Um, and I mean, even going back to great Okan, right? Like all these guys that are coming back from excursion or kind of establishing themselves as their kind of more permanent characters. Um, they're all getting every, every chance in the world to succeed. And, you know, to, to varied results. And I think that that's okay. And I, I think that that's indicative of something that I think we've talked about on this show before, and or maybe I've talked about on this show before. We're seeing an evolution of the roster. Mm-hmm. And Hikaleo, I think, is a piece that they, they want to be a part of that puzzle um, as the big monster guy. Maybe not, maybe not the monster guy, but like the big, the big guy. He looks different, you know? Um, and he, he's got a different pace that he works. And I think I'm interested to see what they do with this, um, you know, this title run now that he's holding the open weight title, like who's going to come after him and is that going to happen in Japan or are we going to see that mostly in the U S on kind of the smaller scale? I, I, I would bet we're going to see it more in Japan than anything else. Yeah. One thing that I was a little bit, uh, not that I don't think that they should go with Hikaleo, but I was sort of anticipating with Strong becoming a pay-per-view exclusive sort of property for them to maybe move the title off of Kenta to like the next bigger star to try and draw pay-per-view audiences. And instead they put it on Hikaleo, who's like upper mid. He's still a guy like you were saying, Chris, that's like establishing himself as time goes on. I, w- I don't even know if I permitted. I mean, that might be a little bit uh, too kind, but you know, he, he's a guy that's in play. Like he just beat Jay White, so they're giving him a push. But I, I wouldn't say that Hikaleo at this time is someone that you can count on to draw houses or to draw pay per view buys, which means that strong title doesn't really mean shit in the US. It's still a mid card title, and we're going to be depending on you know, the ice or not the IC, like the US or the heavyweight world champion or whoever to come to the States and draw these pay-per-views or like Mercedes or whatever. And I, I'm a little surprised by that. I sort of thought that they were going to go a different way with this title long-term. Yeah, I think to Chris's point, I think that we are going to see more defenses in Japan. You know, Hikaleo is a guy who has not really been on a lot of the big US pay-per-views uh, recently. And I feel like most of him, you know, him and Tamatonga and when Tangelo was healthy, those guys weren't really featured a ton on Strong or on the Strong pay-per-view. So I do think Hikaleo is a guy that they, they use a lot in Japan. There is a big focus on pushing him right now. So I think we could potentially see the Strong title maybe start to be featured more on some of the, the Road 2 shows as main events. Maybe some of these lower-level, like, C-level shows, you can have Hikaleo main event in the Strong title to kind of help 
get him in that position and start getting him some main event reps. Oh, I don't doubt that at all. I'm sure they're going to do that. In fact, that's the thing that makes the most sense. But my question is, if the brand is being branded as strong, you would expect a strong champion to be a major you know, aspect of the business in the U.S. Do we think that they could build him enough in the like in the future doing defenses in japan to where it would mean something in the u.s like i'm not sure about that and i'm that's why i'm like a little hazy on what the direction is going forward with all this you know what i mean yeah yeah it's gonna be interesting to see uh, how this all plays out with strong title and how things are gonna work with the, the pay-per-views going forward so uh, next matchup, we had the NJPW World Television title on the line. Zack Sabre Jr. and Jeff Cobb wrestled to the 15-minute time limit draw, the first time that we've seen the time limit happen in the history of this title. What would you guys think? They've come close a lot of times. They finally pulled the trigger on the time limit, huh? They actually hadn't come that close. Like everything was going. I mean, there's a couple matches that went over 14, but there was a bunch of stuff that's in like that 10 and up range. Um, but like 10 to 12, 10 to 4, 10 to 13. Um, not that real, like the bell's gonna ring feel. Um, this one kind of felt like that that this was the best chance to do the time limit. Um, they're always gonna tease the time limit with these 15 minute time limit. They're always gonna tease the draw. Um, and I think that that's something that we probably just have to accept for a little while until like someone gets it and is, is running off, you know, five, six, seven, eight minute matches, um, like a real true, like dominant performance, like a real good run. That That's something that would be establishing. That's something that someone like Hikaleo could really benefit from. Uh, maybe that's the next title for, for someone like him. But, um, you know, when you've got, Jeff Cobb and, and Zack Sabre Jr. in the ring and they match up so well. And uh, it's, it was a first time match in New Japan. And they hadn't uh, they hadn't wrestled since they wrestled in AAW, I think, in 2016. Um, you know, and when, when you've got a couple of guys that match up as well as they do, but with totally different kind of alternative lanes for each other. Right. So like they're both really good wrestlers, right? Technical wrestlers. Um, you know, Cobb obviously it was an Olympian and Zack Sabre Jr. is is known for that. And, you know, when you when you put those guys in a ring together, they're they're gonna have a lot to work with and they're gonna have a lot of ways out of the other person's strengths. So it was this this to me was the perfect match to do a time limit draw and then to set up a um a rematch in in the u.s which i think will go over really well too yeah i i really dug this match quite a bit um like you mentioned chris it's been a while since these guys have wrestled but we've seen this archetype to some degree i don't want to say everybody that i'm going to mention is exactly like jeff cobb but you know there is that technical aspect of like zach saber jr versus a really good big man like we've seen it with walter we've seen it with like michael elgin and a few other people where or like ege probably fits the archetype as well right and um we've seen him go in there with these guys and have these matches where whatever they're good at zach tries to do the same thing as them and like ends up paying for it and i thought jeff was uh, one of the more interesting versions of this you know, archetype of match, especially in this 15 minute time limit, because 
like you mentioned, Chris, he is like so technically sound Jeff Cobb is, and you know, he's able to utilize aspects of his, you know, technical wrestling game that maybe we don't always see him employ. And we got to see that aspect, but then we also got to see him use his power moves on Zach and Zach being able to find creative counters to his power moves. And it was like a, it was a really cool human chess match and they just meshed really, really well with one another. Um, I specifically liked when they were going down the, to the uh, time limit and probably like at the 13 minute mark, he went for the tour of the islands and like Zach rolled through and got that roll up. And that was really cool. This match was awesome. And even down, like once you started getting to like the one to two minute mark, you heard like Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton being like, yeah, at this point, like Zach might just want to run out the clock because (laughs) he hasn't figured out Jeff Cobb yet. Yeah. He doesn't know how to beat him and nothing he's doing is working. He's basically playing a defensive game. And that's, um, I mean, maybe that's not everybody's, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's not everybody's cup of tea, but I thought that this is a really interesting, interesting story they told and i think it set up a uh, a rematch very beautifully yeah i really enjoy the matchup like you mentioned there were so many cool counters between um cobb and saber with just the match of the, the techers versus the powers uh there was a good um reversal where um cobb was going for the spin cycle back suplex and then saber like turned that into a sleeper and then cobb turned that into a german suplex um so they just had so many just kind of cool Counters in and out between Zach's submission and uh, Cobb's uh, power moves, and like you mentioned, Josh, yeah, that tour of the islands uh, roll up there towards the end um, was really cool. And then, yeah, towards the end, man, yeah, they're just they're hitting that sprint, and Cobb is trying to hit all these big moves. He hits the you know the standing moon assault for a near fall, um, and then he hits um, he finally does hit the spin cycle, but then Saber rolled out of the ring, and then he's have this quick sprint towards the end, and then it just ends up uh, with them going to the time limit draw. So yeah, fun matchup post match there. You know, they're jaw jacking and arguing and we would learn there will be a rematch at Dominion. So that leads us to the next matchup. Oh, that rematch is at Dominion. I thought they <laughs> I thought they booked that for resurgence. Uh no, there's a, a tag match. Sabres Saber and Badu Tito are, are in a tag match uh at Resurgence. Had to get Tito on the card. I get it. Of course. Bad dude, he was the man. The bad dude. No, I meant that. Yeah, no, I was, that was serious. <laughs> uh, so next up, we have the uh, never six-man tag team title match where we had new champions crowned, the team of Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeat strong style of El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Ren Narita, 19 minutes and 36 seconds. I uh, the, the mat- This match was great. But I have some fear that Okada is going to burn through some of these young guys and just pin all of them, right? So we got he pinned Narita, and then Shota's kind of next up. So I I'm a little worried for kind of that next generation in this little cycle with Okada that um, that they're gonna eat a lot of, eat eat a bunch of pins and and kind of be put into their place which i don't think is the best move at the at the moment so that's kind of my like forward looking thought why um why am i concerned about that fuck them let okada beat them because <laughs> i like i mean i genuinely like that generation and i think that they're they're all in a really neat place um yeah. you know and but i i wonder what the story is then right like is the story that 
someone like Suji or Uemura is finally the person that can get over the Okada, you know, hump? Or is the story that Okada is still the man? And, you know, I, I have feelings about either way, either direction of that. Or maybe I'm just totally off and it's just happenstance that um, Umino is kind of the next, you know, he's the next uh, kind of front man of the challenging team. Um, so I don't we'll- think you're wrong. I think that this is something that we've been all speculating on throughout the year was were we getting this run of cranky Okada and whether or not that's the full aim, that's sort of what's happening on screen anyways. Like he's going up against young guys. We saw it with Kiyomiya. Yeah. We're, we saw it here with Narita. We're seeing it now with um, Shotumino and like, I'm, I'm ready for it. Fuck them all. That's but, not to say Narita looked awesome in this match. It was some yeah. of the best, some of his best work and he's, he's clearly coming into his own and I don't think it's like demolishing anyone's reputation or anything. Um, I just think it's an interesting path and I want to know who, who gets the bump, right? Who gets who gets that slot where he, they finally do beat Okada? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I, I think in my heart, I want it to be Uemura because they have that history of Uemura's last match before Excursion and the look and all that. But, um, I you know, I, I'm, I'm a skeptic when it comes down to it because of what we've seen historically. I'm just sort of like, my whole thing with it is Okada is the top guy and he needs to have something to do while he's not champion. And I think it's okay for him to beat all these guys now because they're all going to beat his ass on the way out later on. So (laughs) it's fine. You know, one day he's going to repay the favor to literally all of them. Like, I don't think that Okada is going to be one of these guys that doesn't lose to all the top generation stars. Like it's going to probably happen. So I'm fine with him being jumbo for a little bit. It's it, at least it's like the most, in, this is to me, the most interesting thing Okada has done in years since literally since his la- like that title reign where he dropped the title to Kenny. This is the most interest I've, I've been in him since then. Yeah. I think they so, did a good job. Tell of- me how you feel about the money clip without telling me how you feel about the money <laughs> clip. <laughs> I've, there's, there's, hundreds of hours of me complaining about the money clip on this, <laughs> on this show. <laughs> there probably is. That, that probably adds up. But um, one thing I, I thought was interesting, right, is, uh, you know, this Dantaku show, it's no surprise. This was a pretty big show. Um, and the reason I know that is because when you go online and you look up Dantaku reviews, every single outlet that used to cover new Japan just suddenly magically decided to start covering them again after like taking three years off. So, you know, I'm not saying new Japan's back, but it's kind of nice to be, be able to like cherry pick which reviews are out there and kind of read through and see what people's thoughts were. Cause there've been many times where I've been like, what's the review on this show? Nobody except for like <laughs> Chris Vetter. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was, it was a Wednesday, so people in yeah. America were logged in to, to pro wrestling, I guess. Yeah. But um, I thought it was funny that um, Dave Meltzer said that this was undoubtedly the greatest never open weight six man tag team title. I'm like, no, it wasn't. It, like, it wasn't even close to being the best. There have the been some really good six man, I mean, a ton of really good six man matches. I heard him yeah. say that too. And I was like, mm. yeah, I mean, you have I mean, to just go back and look at know that. all the Bishamon title defenses. All the Bishamon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Um, Ishii was on that team too. Bishamon and Ishii. Right. 
he was he, he was a member yeah, and, of Bishamon for that. <laughs> and and Dave, oh, he was he was part of Bishamon. They were a trio, like, like yes. New Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Dave, Dave loves Ishii. I mean, everyone knows that. So yeah, kind of surprised he he. It's just he probably just wasn't thinking because he probably wasn't watching. You know, Road to Road. <laughs> I don't know. He watches all the title matches. He just probably biffed it, which. But um, th- this was really great um and yeah i i really enjoyed it and i especially loved the stuff you know with okada and narita specifically and like i don't know like i i know that uh narita gets flack for being like junior um i don't want to say sakuraba what's wrong with shibata me? who's his trainer yeah shibata junior shibata but um there were allusions to Shibata in this match and it was fucking awesome. Like, I love that. And you know, if we never get, uh, another Shibata Okada match, at least there's Narita and Okada, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think they've done, um, a great job with Okada kind of channeling that Kiyomiya energy, um, from, you know, that whole rivalry at the beginning of the year. Obviously it's not quite as heated as that Kiyomiya angle and what happened after that. But I feel like with him and all these young guys and Narita and Umino, we're kind of getting that vibe from Okada, and I think it's great. And, you know, I'm not too worried right now about him beating all the young guys, kind of like Josh was saying. I I do think that – I don't even think it's him on the way out. I think there's going to be a story for the next couple of years of each guy's quest to beat Okada. Um, and so there's going to be multiple stories of like, all right, here's Narita's quest to beat Okada. Here's Umino's quest to beat Okada. And I think each one of these guys, they're going to have the story of all of them. I don't think it's just one guy that they're setting up to beat Okada. I think at, at some point, as these guys continue to grow and become you know top stars and move up the card, I think each one of these guys are going to have that their story in that moment of beating Okada. And I think you know Okada still in his 30s, they're going to use him to help get this next generation over. Um, as far as the match, I um, thought the match was awesome. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of kind of miscommunication between Tanahashi and Ishii. Ichi, uh, the one spot where, like, um, you know, Ishii's holding, I forgot who he was holding, but Tanahashi goes for the Shota and he accidentally hits Ishii. And so a lot of back and forth and kind of, you know, Ishii had wanted no parts of teaming with Tanahashi. And so a little bit of can they coexist uh, in the match, but you know, eventually they, they were able to kind of put their differences aside and get along here um, until we got to the finish with uh, Okada uh, getting the win over Narita. Yeah, we did have a couple questions here. First from AEWSum791. How do you feel now that we have new never open weight six-man champs? Um, I think it's interesting. Um you know, I am kind of wondering actually more so what's going to happen with this strong style trio. Like, is this a real unit that's going to persist beyond this title loss? Or was this a makeshift team that was only really there to hold the titles and that now they're going to go their separate ways? As far as like Tanahashi, Okada, and Ishii, we obviously had the tension between Ishii and Tanahashi going into the match. Ishii sees him as fake chaos because he's a member of Hontai. And he didn't want to be teamed with him, but for whatever reason, they won the belts. I guess when you get that payday and you know the winner's purse, some of uh, some of that strife goes away. But uh, yeah, I think it's a, a really cool team, and I think it's great for all three guys because let's face it, Tanahashi is on the downside. He's um, 
you know, I've been saying for a long time on the downside of his prime for a while now, and it's become much more clear to everybody recently. And even though Ishii is um, still putting in classic performances all the time, he's no spring chicken either. And it's not like he's at a point where New Japan sees him as a viable contender for any singles title. And then you take Okada, who's always viable, but you know, needs to have a reprieve and have something else to do while he's not contending for that belt. And you take these three guys and they're this incredible team that we never would have imagined as a trio that this could ever happen. And it's cool and it's inventive and it's unique. And it's, it opens a lot of doors and maybe it's a short-term thing. Like they could, this is a team that could literally lose the title in the next defense and that would be fine. Or they could have, you know, a four month reign and no one would bat an eye. So it's it's pretty cool. I don't. I'm not sure what's going to happen, and I think we're all just kind of along for the ride. I hope it, you know, persists and uh, continues to just have Okada beating up young lions on the other side of the team every every time they go out there. Like that's what happens. I'm most curious about how and when we get to the kind of Ishii and Tanahashi like feud, which is obviously where this is going to end. You think? Um, yeah, I do. Because those guys haven't really gone at it in a while, uh, besides maybe some tournament stuff. Like, they've never done, like, a character feud. Um, and and also, like, what will be at stake? Or is that just a special singles match? I mean, like, to me, that's, that's a cookie-cutter special singles match for a U.S. show. Or for, uh, you know, a B-level... You know, not not road to show, but one of those kind of special road, you know, on the road shows. Um, what was the big match they had last year? Was that at Dontaku? Didn't that come out of nowhere, though? No, yeah, it was like it was a yeah, uh, because the... Will got injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah part yeah, of the yeah. U.S. tournament. Yeah, that was like the last major match. But I think you're right, Chris. I don't think they've ever had a feud ever. Never like a personality feud right so now mm-hmm. we're starting to see you know maybe ishii you know protecting chaos a little bit like they need to establish chaos as a real unit again um or at least remind people <laughs> well i you know and that's that's not up to me but if they're gonna continue um they they you know someone's gotta kind of wave the chaos flag that isn't hiroki goto or yoshihashi so um, you know, I love that Ishii's got some fire behind him and that, you know, he's he looks at Hantai as the enemy the same way as he looks at Bullet Club as being the enemy. So I'm I'm curious to see how and when we get to that match. Um, or is it something like Forbidden Door the or the lead up to Forbidden Door, right? Like some of that stuff's gotta start falling into place. And like I said, that does kind of feel like a US offer match because the US loves both those guys. I think the reason that Ishii holds on to the idea of chaos so long and so strongly is because it's like, you made me team up with Yano for years and years and years (laughs) under the auspices that it was for chaos. And then you mean to tell me Tanahashi that Tanahashi, the dude that you fucking feuded with for like a decade, he can just walk onto the team. Like, no bro, you have me, you have me working with Yano. And I, I was a good soldier. I worked with Yano because he was chaos. But now <laughs> you're just going to bring in anybody like Watto? We're going we're to work with Watto? What are we doing here? <laughs> Taguchi? <laughs> that group chat's got to be going wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is going on? 
But uh, yeah. Next I mean, thing we're gonna see Ishi Ishi left the group chat. We're gonna get the. It's gonna be on BTE. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. See, I did it. Oh man, but yeah, I, you know, Chris mentioned U.S. match. Maybe they could do that in the um, the Owen Hart Cup. You know, we, that's going to be kicking off at Forbidden Door. There's going to be some, uh, we you would think some New Japan guys in the tournament. So yeah, why not do yeah yeah some, some kind of involvement that way? I don't know if they can get to it that quickly though, because these guys. I think the Moxley. Well, maybe because the what that trios championship match I guess is going to be Dominion. Yeah. So maybe that even yeah, yeah. leads into something that's going to happen at uh, Forbidden Door. Right. Yeah, maybe it does accelerate that quickly. Yeah. Uh next question here from OKOK890 OK, okay, is Moxley turning on Shota after the six man match the way to go for Shota? I think there's something <laughs> as I get my dinner delivered to me. Um, I do think there's something to be said for something happening between Moxley and Shota at Dominion because that was when that was when that relationship got established in 2019. It was after um, Moxley just beat the hell out of him and took him under his wing as his as his young boy. So it would be kind of poetic if if the relationship was either like further established or kind of or or if moxley decided to move on from it at that point so you know i mean it's hard for amino to be a babyface and be associated with moxley if they want any continuity between aew and new japan because moxley's clearly making a heel turn um in aew and kind of the BCC as a whole is kind of making a heel turn. So, I and I don't see Shota just showing up in all black all of a sudden because I think he's the kind of guy that's he's he's going to follow the color palette. Um, so he's going to continue wearing the all whites and just carrying the black jacket. And I I do wonder if Moxley's going to turn on him and beat the hell out of him, which will lead to maybe a singles match between the two at Forbidden Door because that could be a really interesting or fun way to get them both on the card without some titles on the line. Yeah, I I could definitely see that happening. Um, I forgot to mention, yeah, post-match, Umino comes out and challenges Okada, we see the the video of John Moxley uh, saying he's returning to Japan. Um, so yeah, I mean it is kind of hard to see kind of the white and pink, you know, baby face top guy Umino being next to you know the, the BCC of Moxley and probably Wheeler, Wheeler Utah for that matchup. So it's just kind of I don't yeah he's not going to fit, and I could definitely see. Yeah, maybe he costs them the match somehow, and then yeah, Moxley and Utah just beat the crap out of him afterwards. I'm hoping it's not Utah Wheeler. That's the third guy. I'm hoping it's Brian Danielson, but maybe that's like too much to ask for. Who, yeah, who isn't hoping for that? <laughs> um, Claudio would be fine too. Yeah, I would love for them to all be aligned with like their gear, like you guys kind of mentioned. Um, it kind of reminds me of like Survivor Series 93 when like Brett and all of his brothers, like it's the one time where Brett didn't wear the long boys. He wore like the, the short trunks uh, as part of his gear because that's what Owen wore. And he was trying to like mend that bridge with Owen and show solidarity with him and all his brothers. And that was like one of the first big blows between him and Owen that like led to their WrestleMania match. Um, I would love if like Shooter comes out 
you know, color coordinated with the other guys, you know, and it's like, he's part of, you know, he's like BCC, whatever. And then after he like costs them the match and he gets like chewed out by Okada, they fucking just murder his ass. Like (laughs) (laughs) that'd be so awesome. I guess that the other option is Shota shows up and he's a part of BCC and they're successful and Shota kind of takes a heel turn. And you could do that, but I, I think it would be more just like he's cosplaying for the night, sort of like when the Young Bucks were Bullet Club for the night at Forbidden Door. Like they're not part of the Bullet Club. Yeah, everyone in Bullet Clubs for life. Okay, <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> he could come out like you know, like a black pink variant of what he's wearing. Like it's, he's not fully like BCC, but he's like he's got new gear that like coordinates, and he, like he's he's in with them, and everything's cool. But he's all poppy baby face, and then they're they got their fucking serious faces on, and like, you know, that'd be cool. Yeah, that that's a lot of cool stuff they can do with that. You know, have Moxie's. You know, come on, man, you got a blade. <laughs> you you want to be in the One BCC? Am- <laughs> you got a blade. I'm a little annoyed that so much stuff is going on in New Japan. So many title changes and returns, and all these new developments and shifts and alignments and entire new champions all sorts of shit right but then this is the thing that a lot of people are talking about is they're like oh moxley's coming back i'm like bro he's on he's on dynamite like every wednesday like why do you <laughs> why is this the biggest thing that everyone is talking about like i like john moxley and i'm glad he's coming back but like come on like let's get real there's other things going on in new japan that are kind of cool and bigger than this but moxley's the biggest i mean he's pretty much the biggest star in pro wrestling i guess so i I must just like undervalue or underestimate how big of an impact it is because it's it this was a huge talking point coming out of the show and i Mm -hmm. i just thought it was like i don't know i I always knew he was coming back it wasn't it's not that surprising to me i don't i don't know that i knew he was coming back i mean i you know you always hoped but and and he always said he would be interested in it or he, he wanted to come back to it. And he held on to that U S title forever and, and probably mm-hmm. in hopes of getting back to Japan to defend it. But he's a star. I mean, that's what it comes down to. So, and, and Moxley is, I mean, he's about as big a star as, as you get in, in professional wrestling and he's super active, right? You've still got guys like Danielson or even Kenny Omega. Those guys are right up there with Moxley. Right. But Moxley's the the most active of the like major major pro wrestling stars that are you know don't exist in WWE and and even that you could you could debate that he may be the biggest star in professional wrestling right now. So anytime you're going to bring him in, especially when you've got a pre-existing story like this with Shota, and honestly, if they're setting something up with Okada, I there's a lot to work with there and I, there's good reason for people to be excited about that. I think he drew a lot of eyes when he showed up in 2019 too. So, you know, another run like that. I I don't think he's going to do the G1 or anything, but, um, you know, another run of big shows that he had kind of fallen into. He was on all the big shows through the, you know, through New Beginning 2020. Um, and they did some awesome stuff and he was setting up some some cool stuff to to happen in the future. So I think anytime you get a star like that, especially if one of your priorities is to build the audience in, in the U.S. or in, with English speakers, you know, you're, we're going to get some some attention on the product and, and some questions about where we think it's headed because we're the people that have kind of an inside 
you know, maybe not an inside track, but we 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 see it all. We actually watch the product, you know, down to the road to shows. So, you know, I think it's reasonable that that people would be curious where we think it's going because everyone wants to be in the know. Yeah, and also, I mean, when they played that video of Moxley, the, the crowd had a big pop and gas. So, I mean, even the domestic crowd seems to be very into what uh, Moxley's doing and him coming back to Japan. Like you mentioned, Chris, yeah, coming up to right before pandemic, you know, we were, we were supposed to get, you know, Sabre and Mox for the U.S. title on some big Japan show. So getting him back in the mix in Japan, I, I think is cool. And and also he's been doing the U.S. shows, but getting him back in Japan is a big deal. And I'm curious to see, you know, how much is he going to be involved in Japan? Because, yeah, like you mentioned, pre-pandemic, I mean, he was like flying back and forth every weekend. Like he would, you know, do Dynamite and then fly over and do, you know, a new beginning in Osaka and then go back to Dynamite and fly back and, you know, do another new beginning. Um, so, I mean, I think it'd be cool if he does want to get that schedule again and we do see him in Japan more often. Then uh, last question here from Brother Dime. Do you think an Okada Moxley match at Wrestle Kingdom 18 is in the works based on what happened at Dontaku? I mean, I honestly don't know when this could potentially happen. There's a lot of different options. This could be something that's related to Forbidden Door. Is something that could be related to the Wembley Stadium show that they have going. It could be something on the, you know, on the docket for Wrestle Kingdom. I don't doubt that at all. Um, or, I mean, who knows? Maybe they do a show. Maybe they do that match in AEW or New Japan, one of their big shows. Yeah, there's a lot of time and opportunity for them to arrange a match like that. And I think it is one that people have really been wanting to see out of those two guys ever since you know, John Moxley's first 2019 run. I think, um, I think we finally have an opportunity where neither guy is involved with the top title of the, of the company that they, you know, the primary company that they work with. So we can finally get that match somewhere. Um, I, uh, same. I don't, I don't know where, I mean, maybe to me, maybe forbidden door, right? I mean, if you want to just build it quick and make it happen, um, or if you want to wait for one of the big, you know, the bigger stadiums, right? Wembley or Wembley or the Tokyo Dome. Again, if neither of them are kind of involved with the title, you can do it anytime, anywhere. Um, it's just got to make sense for both sides. And, you know, ultimately, I think uh, I think you want to put that in a, a pretty big building. Because um, I think you, you know, if you slap that on the Wembley show, I think you do sell some more tickets, even though they've already sold a ton. And and I think if you put that on um, the Tokyo Dome, I think um, that's something good for Okada to do if he's not involved with the title. Um, you know, and depending on how the G1 plays out, I don't know that, that you know, and, and as this cycle goes on, as they're establishing new stars and, and new title holders like maybe okada's not maybe this is one of those years where okada just has a special singles match third from the top Mm -hmm. um and who's who else would be more perfect for that than someone like john moxley especially if they let it build all the way to there that could be huge well they could do a gauntlet like basically line up like oleg bolton oscar luebe oiwa fujita and just have okada just maul all four of them in a row Back, would back, he back. would he win the barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> we we forgot to mention 
the the untelevised <laughs> pre-show <laughs> i can't talk about it so we, we didn't we didn't see it <laughs> well, I, can't believe, I can't believe they didn't air that huh. it makes no sense they show all sorts of really weird <laughs> shit <laughs> but they didn't show i was this. so excited for that bro i was too as a young lion enthusiast i was so excited for that yeah, that that was gonna be a lot oh, of fun. Man. Put some steaks on it. Get it? Some steaks. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> one, uh, one last thing I forgot to mention is at the end of this um, match, when uh, Shooter came out and challenged Okada, Okada said, "Fuck you, young boy," and I took that personally. <laughs> <laughs> Okada confirmed keeping a strong style listener. Yo, know, my girlfriend was in the other room and she was like, just, you know, she knows all the wrestlers and stuff. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, did, did Okada just say fuck you? <laughs> oh, man. It's like Okada. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I definitely think a, a Wrestle Kingdom 18 match could be cool. Um, especially like you're saying, Chris, if Okada's not in the title picture, if you don't have Okada, maybe not even Naito, in the, the title picture in the main event. I think Okada Moxley is a big enough match where like if you want to experiment with a title match that Okada Moxley could help draw if you're gonna throw, you know, if you're gonna keep Sonata in the main event or Suji or whoever for the, the Tokyo Dome. So uh moving on from there, the next matchup we had was for the never open weight title, the challenger David Finley defeats Tamatonga. 25 minutes and one second. What do you think, Chris? Sorry. Sorry, I, I, I was not looking at you. I was looking at the down. <laughs> you, you picked the wrong guy. <laughs> Botchamania. I got a lot going on here, it. man. We either got to leave all this or we got to cut it. <laughs> no, nah, you got to leave it. It's okay. <laughs> a little bit of personality. Never heard of anybody. <laughs> um, I thought the match was good. I think, um, I, you know, it, it was a story match, right? Like the first uh, 15 minutes or so kind of went back and forth. But then, I mean, the last 10 was just a squash. Um, mm. But I love the direction with David Finley. Like, I think, you know, he's not a cheater, right? He's one of these guys that's he's just going to try to demolish people. And I think that, you know, he really proved that with Tamatanga. And honestly, to me, it felt like a write-off for Tamatanga. And I don't hope for that, but it really did. It felt like that, at least for the time being. But there's some rumors swirling about what his uh, future looks like. Yeah, who knows? Um, He's got some good friends over in uh, New York, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, the, the last 10 minutes, you know what this reminded me quite a bit of? It reminded me of like that first major Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens match in NXT where he just kept powerbombing him. Yeah. And um, I thought they did a great job with that aspect of it where it started to just kind of get uncomfortable. And Kevin and Chris did a great job where they're like begging the referee to just stop the match. Um, one thing I've been thinking about recently... Cause I know I haven't been on the show last week and um, there's so much discourse out there about Finley and his role as the leader and yada, yada, yada. And I just, one thing I just started thinking was like, you know what, if evil, when he won the title had been wrestling the way that Finley wrestles, people would have been 
over the moon and just fucking, you know, doing flips because of how amazing evil was at that point. But because it's Finley, they don't act that way about it. Like, eh, I'm still on the fence. And it's like, he's out here, like, killing it. Uh, granted, this was a story match. I wouldn't, I do think that the first, like, early portion, it was solid. It wasn't remarkable. This wasn't like a notebook match. But that, that tail end was really brutal. And Tamatonga did, uh, did a great job selling for uh, Finley. And it did feel like a write off. Like, and, you know, in the early part of the year, we were hearing rumors that there was interest from outside parties as it pertained to Tamatonga. I don't know if that, I, I haven't heard anything personally, so I don't know if he's going anywhere. Hopefully not. But if he is, this did feel like a way to just kind of like kaput, you know? Um, last thing I will say, though, for all the hubba blue or whatever that word is, for all the like buzz about the 10th year of the Bullet Club's anniversary, this didn't really feel like a very prestigious or meaningful like 10 year anniversary. Like nothing really happened aside from the post match angle here. Well, Finley said he's like, we're not doing anything for 10 years. Even though it's Duntaku, even though it's Fukuoka, like he said in in one of his post matches on a couple nights before Duntaku, he was like, "We're not celebrating right now." He's like, "I'm looking for," you know, he went into his spiel of what he's looking for. So it actually he ended up turning that into a story piece because I think you know they were they probably knew that Bullet Club wasn't going to be kind of the feature of mm. Duntaku this year, even though you know most years Duntaku last year it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Most years, Bullet Club things happen at Dantaku. I I had the tweet loaded and ready. Um, (laughs) You know, I was going to retweet my last like three years of tweeting that out when when people are like surprised that Bullet Club stuff was happening on May 3rd or whatever. Um, So I was I was ready for it. But um, yeah, kind of kind of was clued in that that it wasn't going to be a big thing. Um, though a really establishing performance from David Finley, which, you know, and, and to, to do so against Tama Tonga, you know, there's a lot of history there too. So I think that that's, there is some synergy there. Yeah. You know, this is a match where I've been seeing, um, kind of similar to, um, the Hikaleo match where you were saying, Josh, like this match, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of, you know, bad ratings, a lot of low ratings for this matchup. People, not into Dave Finley, and you know, I, like you said, this is not like a notebook, you know, match of the year contender. But I still thought it was a very good match, a good match to help establish Finley. And yeah, I still don't know what it's going to take for people to actually get into him because I thought he killed it in the match, um, and especially like towards the end, like just that kind of viciousness of the power bomb over and over and over again. Um, I think I think Finley is doing a great job with the Bullet Club and this this whole heel turn. And I thought this match was was really good and a kind of good kicking off to kind of show how vicious he is. And you know, obviously, I, nothing really big like you mentioned happened for Bullet Club, but it's kind of symbolic that he, you know, laid the waste one of like the original members of the Bullet Club, sent that man out on a stretcher, and it's kind of you know establishing his run now as you know wanting to bring in. All these killers, you know, no, no kimonos, no two sweeting fans, you know, no, you know, merchandise stuff. Like, let's focus on you know building the group up here. So, uh, I thought that was cool. And you know, post match, we did have uh, El Phantasmo making his return to New Japan. Came in 
under a hood sneak attacked uh, on David Finley. He was wearing line mark shorts. He, he pointed to those. He apologized to Liger. So it seems like we're getting Hontai Babyface ELP. I'm here for that. I liked the 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 Liger apology piece was cool too. Um, they kind of interacted and and ELP kind of bowed to him um, because I think I think it's pretty common knowledge that Liger kind of brought ELP in or, or you know was a big advocate for him just the way Liger is for most of the the junior guys that end up coming in. Um, so yeah, I mean I I like that direction. I think it'll end up you know, sealing the deal on uh, one way or another of, of if David Finley's gonna ascent towards the main event, or if we're going to establish ELP as like a real player in the heavyweight singles division, you know, the, the never titles, one of those nice kind of entry level titles that establishes someone if you have a good run with it. So, um, that match to me could go either way. Um, especially because, you know, they've, they've been, kind of jaw jacking going back and forth and Finley kicked him out of bullet club and you know, da 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 da. So I'm, um, I'm a big fan of both these guys. So I'm really excited for that match. Well, the good thing is if the never title doesn't work out, there's always the strong title. And if the strong title doesn't work out, there's always the TV title. And if you don't go for that, there's KOPW. And if not that the U S title, there's a lot of options here for, (laughs) for, (laughs) and if you're not into if you're not into titles, maybe ELP could drop a couple pounds and they could have the Super J Cup again, which we all know the only person that can win the Super J Cup <laughs> is ELP. So then he can have a gold jacket. And that's not even a trophy. He doesn't even have to like, you know, adjust what he's putting in his suitcase. He just it's just another garment. I wonder if he like still has those and like has them on display like privately in his home, or if he like trashed them and just never took them with him. Like I wonder what the verdict is. On it's that. a pretty sweet jacket. Yeah. It was. It's. I mean, it's super gold, and he seems like the kind of guy that would enjoy that. Maybe they can do a super open weight tournament, super O cup. Ooh, a super open weight cup. Because the super open, <laughs> super open weight. I think that's called the G one. <laughs> no, well, G- that's a heavyweight. That's heavyweight. Yeah. <laughs> nah, juniors show up in that because it's open weight. Heavyweight we is open need, weight. We need the G two. Mm. There was a G2 once. When? There was a G2. I'll find I'll look, I'll look it up on Cage Match. It exists. Was it for the U30? <laughs> I don't remember. Well, while you're looking that up, we have a question here from MJ Does PR. Where does Tamatanga go from here? Is it a fail up situation or did he get uh beat back to the tag division? I think he's deciding what he wants to do from here. I think I think he's going to have some time either way, um, or there's a chance he's just kind of taking a little break. He's going to come back uh, some sort of surprise down the line. Um, but I, this this to me felt like at least some time off. Um, and you know, truthfully, he's a guy that's shown up in perpetuity. He's always been there, um, whether it was with God as a tag guy or you know this most recent singles run. He was showing up, giving us all, you know, he's done everything he can. And now that New Japan's at full strength with foreigners coming in and, you know, being able to book flights and get visas and all that, um, maybe now's the time for him to just take some time away, even if that doesn't mean he's going somewhere else, you know, because I, I hope he stays. He's He's been such a staple for New Japan for so long, but, you know, I can understand wanting to try something different too. I got nervous that I 
like fabricated this tournament in my mind <laughs> that it didn't exist. But then I found it. it. It did happen, and it was for the U30 title. It's called the G2 U30 Climax. Happened Nailed in uh, March 2003 until April 2003, and uh, the winner was Hiroshi Tanahashi. Of course it was. Everything <laughs> around the U30, the winner was Hiroshi Tanahashi. And there was uh, such illuminary names as Toriano and Shinya Makabe in that tournament. <laughs> so they did have one G2 tournament. Um nice. As far as um, Tamatanga, I mean, there is that option that kind of exists where it's like, we don't know what's going on with Tangaloa, but, you know, there is there is probably room for them to do another uh, uh, G.O.D. run if they wanted to. Um, and it kind of feels like with all the pushing that they've done of that group, Tangaloa has sort of been the odd man out. So maybe hypothetically Tamatonga might want to work with his brother again, if only to potentially split and maybe give him a push and put him over or something like that. I don't know. That's, that's something that's probably definitely on the table, but it does kind of feel suspect. Like, like he might be on his way out and going to WWE or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, well, there there was reports uh, from Fightful this week that Tamatonga has been working without a contract, which isn't completely surprising because I mean there are a lot of guys in Japan that who don't work with full time contracts or they they contract out per tour. Um, but with Tama, he, you know, you think he might be a guy that they would lock down on on contracts. Some guys do have long term contracts, but. Yeah, with him, you know, not having a full-time deal right now, like Chris was saying, yeah, he's probably weighing his options, seeing if there is interest in WWE or AEW. I know there was a, you know, hiring freeze with WWE through the whole merger uh, with uh, UFC and everything that's going on there. Uh, and, you know, maybe maybe AEW is a spot. You know, I've seen rumors that he could potentially join Bullet Club Gold. Not sure how true those rumors are, but there's definitely options for him outside of New Japan if he wants them. That would be great for Bullet Club Gold to gain another member in Tamatanga so he can team up with the guy that he feuded with just very recently. In fact, you know what's funny? Last year's Dantaku was like Bullet Club Gold all day because that's like where uh, Rock Hard Juice Robinson debuted. That's where like uh fucking jay white came back after like two years or whatever yeah that was the genesis people thought it was the genesis of the bull club no that was the genesis of bull club gold <laughs> bang bang <laughs> guns up <laughs> which i love i love those guys i i watch them on uh rampage every friday night <laughs> I'm I'm actually convinced Jay White has uh has a an every other week clause in his uh <laughs> in his uh contract because he's he's on the show every other week and then on the off weeks he has a promo which have all been great. Um I think I, I, I think even though he's not necessarily being highlighted, he's putting in some great character work, like really good energy character work. But uh it is a, it is really it is an every other week thing. So well, I mean someone's gotta tend to the chickens. I would say he needs time <laughs> on the farm. He was like, Hold on, TK, like yeah. you know, I, I need to be in in the farm in Florida one week and then I can come to dynamite the next week, okay? 
Listen, if they want to do vignettes of him working on a chicken farm, they could have him teaming up with Satnam Singh, <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, and all those or, guys. Or Mark Briscoe. And Mark Briscoe. Yeah, because all those guys are together right now. Yeah. And and Briscoe needs a... Well, he said he's never going to do a tag match again, so it would have to be a trio. I mean, he'd have to bring Juice along, but I think we could do it. I don't know. That, that farm vignette last week was freaking... Oh, that was great! Hilarious. <laughs> so I, I'm down for more. That was great. Farm scenes from the Briscoe farm. Get Papa Briscoe out there. Let, let's go. <laughs> oh my god! I think I actually think Jay White's probably an underrated comedy guy too. Like I think he could he could he's got really good timing. So yeah. Neither here nor there. We probably don't have time to dig in on that. No. Uh, let's move on to this uh, main event here: the IWGP World Heavyweight Title Match. Sonata defeats Hiromu Takahashi, twenty-seven minutes and thirty seconds. We got tons of questions about this match and the post-match, but uh, real quick, first, what are your guys' thoughts on this match? I thought this was a really good to great main event. Um, it's sort of exactly what I expected it to be, though, uh, from these guys. There was nothing that surprised me, which is a good thing, because I thought they were going to go out there and tell a great story, have a great match, and that's exactly what they did. Um, even though everybody kind of knew Hiromu wasn't going to win this match, I mean, Logic just pretty much told you that. There were some really cool near falls with the Time Bomb and the Time Bomb 2 and the Time Bomb one and a half and all that stuff, and... uh you know, there was a couple times where the crowd, I think that they didn't get me to bite on any of them, but down the stretch, they did eventually get the, the crowd to bite on a couple of those near falls, uh, which is what you want to see. But ultimately, you know, Sonata was able to retain and pick up the win there. So like I said before, LIJ in the mud, once again, getting beat by just five guys, you know? <laughs> I... I- um, did you have more? Sorry. The only thing, I, other thing I was going to say was I did think it was telling how even though the crowd came around and, and got behind Sonata, from the offset of the match, the majority of the crowd was behind Hiromu. And, you know, um, I don't think that I, I think there are some people that have made too big of a deal out of the fact that maybe Sonata's not a, a monster draw or like a mo- like super over in Japan as the the new champion because um i think that does tend to be the case i think those individuals who are talking about how over he is and this groundswell support he has i think that's a little over exaggerated but when you look historically most first-time champions in new japan especially domestically they usually don't have that much support it takes them some time i mean you go back and you watch okada's first title reign like nobody fucking cheered him it took like years. It took multiple title reigns before anyone actually cared about Okada on that level. So I'm I'm not like too worried about Sonata, but it was very telling that Hiromu was the more over guy in this match by a large margin. Yeah, and and I agree with all of that. I never love when I I, I think for a, a match, a main event match to be truly great, the finish needs to be in question for the whole match. Um, and that just wasn't going to be the case with this, with this matchup. Right. I think if they were ever going to put the title, you know, the big title on a junior 
Hiromu is probably the guy, right? Like, so that it, it's not completely out of the question, but it's sort of out of the question when he's holding the junior title. Right. And I think that that's what, that, that was my holdup. And I, I love the, uh, the parallel between kind of the evil run and, you know, when someone leaves LIJ, then you go through the LIJ guys and it almost always starts with Hiromu because he is a credible opponent, but he's not necessarily credible to to win the championship though i bit harder when he was uh fighting evil in 2020 because i yep. just so so desperately wanted they were doing such crazy stuff um and i you know I, I don't consider putting the title on a newly turned newly freshly shaven sonata like i don't consider that to be all that crazy because he has kind of been established at that level um, whereas evil had never really, really been at that level at the time. So I was like, I don't know, maybe they are going to put it on Hiromu. Like, why not? Um, and this, I didn't have that feeling throughout this match. So, um, with that said, they were, it was great. It was a really good, competent new Japan main event, everything you would expect. There were some great near falls in there, but at, at no point did I actually think Hiromu was going to win the match, but, you know, it's it's their job to make that feel like he might throughout the course of the match. And I, I do think they accomplished that. Um, you know, with that said, I enjoyed it. I think Sonata looks great. You know, he's got a great look and he's he's performing pretty well in the ring. I mean, 27 minutes and, and 30 seconds is about the right amount of time. I want to see these guys. And um, yeah, and, and uh, of course, Hiromu looked great, too. You know, I love to see Hiromu in a real true main event spot, and I would like to see more of that. Um, but I don't think we're going to be able to see too, too much of that on the really big shows until he's not a junior, or at least until he's kind of working, you know, quote unquote, open weight. He's going back and forth a little bit as a credible um, as a credible challenger for, for any title. Yeah, he also wrestled a lot more recklessly in this match like recently we've talked about how he's done a scaling back of that and he didn't go all out the way he did in his earlier days but it was kind of nice to see all right i'm in the big spot i'm going for the big gold i'm gonna throw caution to the wind that was pretty cool. he took like a flat back bump on a con on the concrete yeah, like with that shotgun drop kick. He, yeah he pretty much he pretty much threw caution to the wind yeah but yeah i agree with you guys i thought this match uh was a great uh, main event and yeah also the result was just not in question and you know not only is he the junior champion but best of super juniors is right around the corner then there's no way you're going to have your world champion go into a junior tournament and then potentially eat losses in that tournament like he would have to like go undefeated in the block and win the whole thing if he was going to be the world champion i just don't think they're they're going to do that in super juniors which we'll get to in a second um, but yeah, I thought this was a great main event. And I also did notice that to Josh with how over uh, Hiromi was in this match compared to Sonata. And I don't know if, you know, Fukuoka is traditionally in an LIJ town. Maybe it is. And also this match sold out when the match was announced. So maybe Hiromi was kind of the key to to that selling out. And so I think the, the question still out there, whether or not Sonata is a truly a draw, um, especially with limited crowds and some prefectures i think it's going to be kind of hard to tell what sonata can and can't do especially depending on who he's going up there against i think the the real big test for that is going to come um with with what we saw with the post-match angle so 
after the match, um, you know, Sonata wins. He, he's celebrating, talking about, you know, the first time he faced Hiromu and they do the whole big confetti celebration. Just five guys are out there all having a good time. But then the, the lights go out and we see the video that's been playing uh, for about a month now of carnage, destruction, rampage, you know, something's coming out of space or whatever the video says. And uh, the lights go out. We see a hooded figure come. We see this, you know, sly, you know, just douchebag grin come across the <laughs> face. And then the hood's up and it's Yota Suji returning from excursion, he goes in the ring and he just clears out all of just five guys. He hits Sonata with one of the best spears I've ever seen. He cuts Sonata in half with that spear, and the guy looks like a million bucks. And it's official: Suji versus Sonata, main event of Dominion for the world title. And yeah, I can't say right now. The oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, say so we have we have a ton of questions. I'll just go through those um, about Suji, but go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't say it's the greatest spear I've ever seen for sure, but it's like, to me, it's like up there with like Goldberg, Rhino. That was one of the best spears I've ever seen in my life. Like that. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so and for- there's a, the, there's a great picture. Uh, I think it was on the new Japan site of, of like that spear happening and suji is smiling like ear to ear <laughs> and like sonata is just like oh no and suji, like his smile is like roman reigns after he got his new teeth like it is we are talking whiter than white it's, it's yeah, everything really with that was like so anime cool inspired yeah yeah it was a cool spear though yeah killed him with it uh so first question here from heavenly halbeard with Yota Tsuji main eventing the second biggest New Japan show of the year out of nowhere, what are the chances this decade's version of the Rainmaker Shock happens? I I don't know that it would be as big because it's because of who's holding the title right now. Yeah, it's like Sonata does not equal Tanahashi. Right. <laughs> but it's big. It, it, the, the the okay, so that's absolutely right. Yeah, he's like obviously Sonata just got to this level. He's not in the middle of like an all-time title reign the way Tanahashi was. But the difference there is Okada did have a lot of support behind him before he ever left for excursion. Like everyone kind of was saying he's gonna be the guy one day. So when he did win in his first uh title shot. Yes, it was shocking, of course. Like, can't understate that. But it wasn't the most shocking thing that could ever possibly happen because there had already been people saying that one day he's going to be the guy. I just don't think most people thought it was going to be, you know, in his second month back with the company. With Suji, yes, it wouldn't be the same impact beating uh, Sonata as it was beating Tanahashi, but who would have ever guessed that they were going to put him in this spot at this point in the year? And if he were to win in a way, in a different kind of way, it is kind of more shocking. It's shocking. It's also, I, you know, again, as I say, every time I'm on the show, it's indicative of where the company's headed, right? Like mm-hmm. I, this is a match that I will feel is in question as they, as they go into it, especially because it's at dominion, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's at a show where, 
there will be a ton of eyes on the on the product um you know the, really the second biggest single event right i mean like of of the new japan year um and this man is getting you know skyrocketed into the main event against the you know sonata's a good cha- good champion um but he hasn't even really established himself either. So, but I mean, the thing of it is, it's it's also in Osaka, right? So there there are some parallels to the 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 Rainmaker Shock that you could draw from, and that you know we we will probably try to highlight as we go and get closer towards Dominion. But you know, this this gives me a reason to really pay a ton of attention whenever Suji is appearing on any sort of undercard, right? Because there's there's I don't I, I don't have the schedule in front of me. I know that they're probably not on uh, much, if any, of the Super Junior Tour because it's all loaded with best of Super Juniors matches. But once they appear, once these guys are in the ring together, we're going to want to see how they interact. And, you know, that'll build my confidence towards what this main event's going to look like. But I also don't think they would put him in the spot if they didn't think he could deliver. So I, I don't know. Maybe they're going to do it. It's also so counter to what we've been predicting on this show because even though like you said chris they are going in a new direction they are building up new stars they're they're it's a youth movement right that definitely is there at the same time the immediate fallout from dominion is the g1 so whoever is holding the title is going to be going through the g1 as the champion i didn't suspect for any reason that Sonata was going to continue to be champion going into G1. This makes it a lot more likely and it completely upends the booking that we'd sort of laid out where we were like, yeah, they're going to have Naito come out here, challenge him and then beat him. And it's like, no, it's not Naito. It's (laughs) Yota Suji. Like this is not something that anybody had on their bingo card at the beginning of the 2023 year. They're like, yeah, Dominion, the IWGB World Heavyweight Title will be contested between Seiya Sonata and Yota Suji. Like that sounds so preposterous. And now that it's happening, I'm so here for it. Like it, I'm very excited for this. But they like nailed the the execution of it. Like yep. the yeah. Sonata turn, they nailed right everything about Sonata. He's a credible champion. He looks great. He it's a change, which is how he got over the hump everything about it and they did it quickly and they nailed it and suji coming back the spear this whole segment right nailed it looked great whole shot great spear didn't botch his finisher like mercedes monet you know like (laughs) i mean this was it and you know i think there's some vague you know alignment with lij right i don't think we know for sure for sure what's going on there but you know he did the fist thing and he was they're defending lij and you know but it's i think it's important to remember suji's match on the way out was against naito mm-hmm. on the at the korokin before he went on excursion suji's match was with naito so somehow some way naito is going to factor into suji's big story uh especially as he returns is that as the leader of lij or is that as a challenger and not allowing him into LIJ, even though that's what he wants. So let's say Suji wins the title. Maybe he, maybe the person that comes out at Dominion is Naito. And if Suji wins, then Suji gets to stay or gets to join LIJ. I, you know, you could do anything with that. So, but I do think that those guys are going to have some 
you know, less favorable interactions. Uh, that's just, that's just me putting, putting the pieces together, you yeah. know, maybe, or maybe it's just, that's something for down the line. Yeah. There, there's definitely going to be some kind of Naito, Suji interaction, LIJ interaction, you know, based off of the rest of these questions here, it does seem like most people are assuming that Suji is joining LIJ. He, he did do the, you know, LIJ Naito fist bump thing towards the end. The crowd like lost their mind when he did that. And then mm-hmm. they cut to the backstage and like Hiromu was on the ground. So it kind of like did he lay out to Hiromu, <laughs> but then he picked Hiromu up and like walked off of him. So there's still this kind of question like, yeah, is he LIJ or is he kind of just this kind of weird interloper where he's going to kind of help who he wants to help and fight who he wants to fight kind of thing. Um, but I do think, yeah, if, if he is in an LIJ, that is going to probably determine whether or not he wins the belt here because, you know, yes, we saw Shingo as champion under LIJ, under Naito, but I think it's very rare that you do see somebody within the faction win the, the top title that's not the leader. Um, so if... Tsuchi- or it becomes a story that you, you can't be a heavyweight in LIJ unless you're capable of winning the big title, which is why Sonata had to bolt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also... I mean, that would basically, let's say he does win the title. They would have the greatest track record of success and recruiting for any stable in the history of New Japan. Five heavyweights, all five world champions. That's true. Mm. That's true. That would be crazy. I mean, there's already an argument right now that they already are the most, you know, in the history of stables in the company four world champions four heavyweights like that's crazy even though two guys had to leave to 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 get there they still went on to do it is what i'm saying yeah that's crazy yeah yeah i mean the closest to that or the the only unit that i could see even having a chance at hitting that would be something like united empire but even that they've got so many people Uh, so next question here. I did think it was crazy that all of LIJ came out for uh, Hiromu's match. I wanted to make mention of that earlier since we're talking about LIJ. They never come out for anyone's big match like this, but they were all out there for Hiromu. Well, I think that's because they, they're they going to continue on with this just five guys feud, right? So like, I think you want to kind of start to have those interactions. Yeah. Yeah, I think LJ wanted to prove that they're as good as friends as just five guys are. So, you know, there's a little, some competition mm. there. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they're not. <laughs> I, be- I believe no one, e- no one even told Naito that Titan was joining the group. Yeah. <laughs> or, or apparently Suji. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, Suji just like took a step from Titan and he's like, How'd you get in? He's like, I got invited, but no one else knew. He's like, No. He's like, Sick. I'll just join. He's like, yeah, but someone's gonna invite you. Nope. <laughs> they were just backstage in, in Arena Mexico, just like shooting the shit. Yeah. And Susie's just like, up. I'm joining LIJ. And Teton was like, Oh, sure. He's what? like, he's like, Teton said I was I could join the group. And then he goes to someone else. He's like, Bushi said I was in. And then he goes to someone else. And he's like, I already cleared it with Shingo. <laughs> I had been talking to Sonata, and now he's gone. So I guess y'all need someone else. <laughs> He just showed up with the gear that matched their motif and then just put his fist in the air and they're like, all right, I guess he's one of us now. <laughs> Bold move, Suji. Come on down. 
Uh, next question here from Barry Walsh. Um, as good as Umino and Arito have looked, I don't think either have the aura or presence Suji does. Is LIJ a good fit? On one hand, he always mentions going to Mexico, but will it be harder to break out in the same stable as Naito and Chingo if he indeed joins LIJ? We sort of just covered that. Yeah. Um, yes and no, right? Because it's one of those things where if you're if you want to be a heavyweight in LIJ, maybe you have to be at that level. Um, but he's also there's there's story and history there. He's always wanted this. This is his this is his dream. Now, is this the way that he earns it, or does he have to kind of earn it through a back door if he loses doesn't win the title? We'll see, you know. But I think I think it's a good fit because it's it's the type of character that he seems to want to be. I think that he is a good fit for one reason. There's no young heavyweights in the group at all. Mm. Mm. And I'm not saying he necessarily needs to become the leader, quote unquote, but you gotta have some youth to spin off to do something and the youth that they did have was you know watanabe and sonata and those guys have gone off and done their own thing so if the group's gonna have a purpose they gotta have a young heavyweight otherwise what why are why do they exist at all yeah also i think too we've talked about before sometimes you get kind of lost in the mix if you're not a part of a faction so i think you know immediately Getting him in LIJ, you know, one of the most popular factions in the company will be a good way for him to be staying in the mix, being he can join this just five guys rivalry. And, you know, he'll always kind of have a place on the card because LIJ is a a top faction. And so he will be in top feuds just being a part of that faction. Uh, Next question here from True Life Soldier. What do you fellas see in Yoto Suji's future? In terms of success with Los, he's my all-time favorite young line, joining my all-time favorite wrestling team. It's kind of a dream come true for me. I really liked him ever since he started as a dojo guy due to his funny personality, impressive strength, physique, and energy. It was smart of Suji back in the day to start a Twitter campaign covered by Tokyo Sports and Weekly Pro Wrestling in order to get a one-on-one with Naito. I really think the sky is the limit for him. Yeah, I mean, I won't add much to that. I think that uh, we've always been big fans of Yota Suji. And um, even if I didn't necessarily think he was quote unquote ace material, the look and the confidence that's been on display really kind of changes that perception for me quite a bit. I, I'm on record as a Yumura guy, and y'all saw me when Yumura <laughs> got his, uh, his, his first big pin. Um, when we were in LA and in, in 2021, but um, Suji looks tremendous, and um, you know I I've got some friends that keep me pretty up to date on anyone who's on Excursion Rev Pro, and like they basically said the same thing is that his progression was really incredible um, while he while he was over there. So you know uh, I was kind of clued in that he had finished up his dates there and that he was um kind of quietly doing what you do on the way out at rev pro and you know and then he appeared you know back pretty pretty quickly and but like i said like everyone that i've talked to over there the people who i've seen him especially the people who have seen him live and in person they just say he's got he's got it so um you know i think that that's the trajectory whether they go with him right away or not uh, who knows but 
he really came into his own and he's i mean he is he's firmed up the body that's for sure like mm-hmm. he's always been a big guy but he was kind of big soft for a little while um he looks like a stud um he's a guy you could put on a poster um you know i i, I really think i really think there's something there's something here and i think he does have that kind of charm i i hate to even call it charisma i think he's more of a guy like great okan is charisma I think Suji has charm, and I think that charm is kind of what makes Lij tick, which is why I think it's a really good fit. Yeah, I definitely think it could be a great fit. Like you guys said, he he has a look, he has something about him, uh, and I, I do think yeah, getting him in a faction like that is going to help him succeed and not kind of flounder around where we've seen you know in the past there's been other young lions who've kind of made the transition, not kind of find themselves in a faction, and they're still trying to find their footing um so yeah i think yeah there's a ton of success for him if he does join lij um he also asks Hiromu takahashi has stated multiple times in the past that his vision is to win both the junior heavyweight and the world heavyweight titles on prime time television for a booker slash storyteller i think it would be a mistake not to have your hero accomplish his dream eventually and Hiromu is definitely the hero of the junior division what would be the best case scenario for him to finish the lifelong mission Winning the world heavyweight gold after capturing the New Japan Cup, maybe challenging for the big one after winning the best super juniors as a junior champion, or possibly even winning a G1. A man can dream. Hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't usually like to get into the fantasy booking thing too much. I mean, I'll just say this without getting too in depth with it, there's no better way or better place to win your first world title than to do it at the Tokyo Dome. How does he get there? I don't know. I'll leave it up to you guys to fantasy book. But uh, if we were ever going to pull that trigger and actually do that, that's where you might want to do it. Hiromu talks a lot. That's the thing. (laughs) Like, I, I I do. I love him. I think he's great. But, you know... After the Liger retirement in 2020, Hiromu wanted to headline the Tokyo Dome. And that was probably part of the plan that year. They were probably going to do another Tokyo Dome show that in 2020 pre-pandemic. And or they were going to do another double, you know, double dome the following year. And and the juniors were going to build up, you know, maybe Dragon Lee to to headline the dome. he's got a lot of goals i guess is what i'm saying um right now is his current goal seems to be to defend the junior championship 12 times um he could very well do that that wouldn't surprise me at all and i think we might get some sweet matchups out of it that we wouldn't be expecting but yeah so i i i guess he's the hero but he's also the hero that kind of is pounding his own path and and i think it he's also kind of erratic so he's hard to keep up with so <laughs> yeah um i forgot that that was his current goal so you know i think when he was talking about primetime television it was probably when the new japan tv show was going back to prime time in 2020 also so he had a lot of he had a lot of designs for where he was headed in that time period and and i think he's kind of pivoted off of that now and um you know, if he goes heavy, he could do a lot because people love him. But he's he does seem to be the new Liger where he's just going to live in the junior division forever and always be a threat. See, that was the thing I was going to say, but you kind of 
you know, brought it up as like, these guys get are allowed to say pretty much whatever they want in the backstage comments. So if Gato was beholden to the whims and aspirations <laughs> of every wrestler that says what their goals were in the backstage, there'd be the booking be would be as frantic as AEW. <laughs> It'd be so fucking chaotic. You'd have a new champion every week. <laughs> <laughs> but if it was like, if it was pr- like um, beholden to, like, let's say it's not beholden to everybody, it's just beholden to like Hiromu, that would be chaotic too. So. <laughs> Uh, Wukong901 says Do you guys think Yotatsuji has a good chance Of beating Sonata at Dominion I appreciate the current main event scene Of trying new things but wouldn't put But wouldn't putting the strap on him derail Sonata And just five guys to hell Also Sonata is my guy that's my Ace love y'all You know Um I don't want to say that It's a 0% chance that Suji wins cause it's not but I would say it's a very unlikely outside shot, personally. I just, unless unless they saw something in Suji where they're like, he is the new ace, he's going to take the title through the G1 and potentially into the Tokyo Dome, and we think he's going to be a money, mega money monster draw right now. Like, they, they know something that we don't know, then maybe that could happen. But I really don't, it would be so unprecedented to put the title on a young lion returning from excursion to go into the G1 to lead to a Tokyo Dome. Like it's never happened. So I really don't think that that's happening. In fact, I think that this probably means that they have a greater level of faith in Sonata and his title run than maybe I was anticipating uh, once he won the belt. And yeah, I think he's going to retain. I think he's going to go to the G1 as champion maybe go to he might go to the tokyo dome as champion i'm not ruling out the chance that something happens at forbidden door oh that's a good yeah Mm. that's true because that's that's pre-g1 and not even necessarily with someone AEW, right i mean it could be another four-way there could be another new japan guy in there they could pin you know god knows who from from they could pin sonata they could pin claudio you know that's before the g1 right yeah yes Mm. So I, I I won't rule that out. Now I don't know that they hot potato the title like that and go Suji and then have him lose it at the at Forbidden Door. But I don't I don't even if Sonata gets through Suji, I'm not positive that Sonata doesn't lose the belt before the G1. Even if that does mean that the title holder's not in the G1, because I guess I have if a- you can get someone like Danielson involved i you know i don't know pipe dreams right i would hate that i i wouldn't love it because it gives me less to work with but who knows or a new japan guy right i mean like or whoever however they get naito into the picture right right because that there's a certain way of course you can get naito into the picture even if you have to weave an AEW guy in well they did the four-way last year well that's what i mean yeah you know the one that almost killed adam cole literally yeah um so, I don't, you know, it's possible that we see a title change on Forbidden Door, especially because then that's a big deal, right? And it gets New Japan into the conversation. Because I think last year, everyone left Forbidden Door surprised how great the show was, but no one was really talking about story advancement for New Japan. And I think that this year, maybe the title that 
gets featured, especially given who's holding it right now. It's not someone who's super protected. Somebody, you know, Sonata could, that could be the moment that he loses it. And then you've got someone a little more traditional holding it through the, through the G1 and probably through the tail end of the year. The only, the only way I would feel comfortable personally with the idea of an AEW guy winning the title and not competing in the G1, because let's, let's face it, if an AEW guy wins the belt, they're not going to be in the G1, most likely. The only way I feel comfortable with that is if they turn around and drop it in Wembley. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, is that sounds fun, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots, lots of options that they could do. There, I mean, there's so many big wrestling events coming up that New Japan is at least tangentially involved with, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this we could finally see the AEW relationships start to pay off by highlighting some cool stuff for New Japan on these big, you know, these bigger shows. Even if it's an undercard thing or, you know, third or fourth from the top. Yeah. I mean, for right now, yeah, I would say so, yeah. Sonata's probably leaving Dominion with the title, but like you were saying, Josh, it, it'd be Super Bowl if they went with Suji, and I, and I would be down for it. I give Suji 20% chance of winning that match. It's better one, than, in, one in five. Better than zero. <laughs> uh, next. I mean, it's better than I would have given Hiromu. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, next set of questions here from uh, Def Triangle 720. If Sonata is going to be champion after Dominion, who will he face at Forbidden Door pay-per-view? Yeah, we just we kind I of have just talked about that. No idea. I mean, I think we'll probably have a better idea once the AEW pay-per-view is over, but right now I'm like, damn, I have no clue who they pair him up with. I also wonder if Forbidden Door has to be maybe maybe they've play with the format a little bit where not everything is AEW versus New Japan. But I don't want it to be like the G1 Supercard and Madison Square Garden either, where it's just like two separate shows. Yeah. So if there was ever a guy that is a super strong domestic champion, but not so in the West, it's going to be Sonata. And that creates weird. Yeah dynamics for him to kind of like kind of like how mjf on the flip side is a strange guy to try and pair up with anyone from new japan as well on the you know i think they're you know two two different sides of the same coin so i don't know i think it could even be possible that he ends up in a multi-man like defense or even a tag match because who says he has to even defend the title on the show at all you know so i don't know yeah uh, he also asks, who should win the title off of Sonata, whether it's before Wrestle Kingdom or at Wrestle Kingdom? I mean, since Sonata won it, I assumed we were going eventually going to get to Naito. That's what I thought, but like, I don't know. Yeah, doesn't feel like it. It doesn't now. feel yeah. like it now. <laughs> <laughs> like when uh, Naito went to the back after Sonata won, I was like, where, where are you? Where are you going? Yeah, why? why This is it. Already out here. Like your cue is now. (laughs) Like Sonata turned the lights off. You know the little he's doing the thing. Like now's the time for you to go and do your eye thing. And you know, nope, just gonna go to the back. I don't know. I I mean I'm I think it's it's super exciting, but um I don't have a 
uh, a particular individual picked out that I think needs to pick up the title from him. We're sort of in this um, unknown space where it's really hard to predict and, and um, you know, calculate who, who's going to do what in New Japan right now because the booking is so off kilter and kind of haywire in a good way. Yeah, in a, in a way that's that makes things really interesting, which and not in a way that's frustrating. No, you know we've gone through off kilter and frustrating, right? I'm using I'm using like um, bad terms. I should say fun and unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just scanned the rest of these questions, and I feel like we've kind of touched on pretty much what everybody's been asking. I do want us to get some time for Super Junior, so. Um, thank you everybody for sending in questions on that topic. Kind of, we kind of cover a lot of the stuff there. Um, so we do know coming out of wrestling on Taku, we got four title matches announced for Dominion. So we have the world title match, like we mentioned, Sonata defending against Yota Suji. The never open weight title on the line, David Finley will defend against El Phantasmo. IWGP tag team titles, Aussie Open will defend against House of Tortures, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi and Bishamon. We'll have a rematch with the NJPW World TV title, and Zach will defend against Jeff Cobb. And then we have the matchup uh, part of the U.S. title tournament, Lance Archer versus the winner of Tanahashi and Will Ospreay. Winner of that will get a shot at Kenny Omega. So now let's move on to uh, best of the Super Junior 30 so we know this year uh, we got 12 events spread over 16 days. Most nights are going to see both blocks in action with 10 match cards. Um, a little bit of a format change this year. So this year the top two point scorers from each block will advance to semifinals in Yoyogi before the grand finals on May 28th in Ota. So the first place of A block will face the Second place of B block and the first place of B block will face the second place of A. The winners will face off in the finals. Ah. The last time New Japan used this format was in 2014. And in that tournament, the finals ended up being A1 versus A2. Yeah. Call that the crisscross applesauce semifinals. Yeah. I. This is reminiscent of so many of the older tournaments that New Japan's done. And oftentimes it's great, but because they have to do that sort of booking, sometimes you wind up with finals where guys already fought each other in their block matches before we get to the finals. And that can either be really good or it can be frustrating in a bad way, which I've, there've been tournaments where that's happened before. I think the thing that I'll be looking out for is time limit draws. Because mm. uh, if a if a high profile time limit draw happens within the blocks, uh, I would imagine that the rematch then happens in the final. The other, Which I think it'd be awesome. I think that's good booking. Well, I would say this too. You should also be on the lookout for any anomaly, not yeah. just time limit draws. Because DQ, it, no contest, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Or even a really short match. Yeah, a really short match. That's what they did with Hiromu and was it Hiromu and Yo in twenty one? Yeah, where they ended up. They it was the single block tournament. They had the really weird short match on the small show, and then they were the final. So yeah, you're right. Any any sort of anomaly within the block matches 
Uh, if count it's two out, guys, double count out. Yeah, if it's like two that. guys that could credibly be in the final, then you could imagine that maybe that's the direction. But I think everyone's going to be betting that it's going to be two guys from the same block because they're leaving that open. Um, but the, New Japan also they they do this a lot where they like it looks like they're doing something some sort of change in format for a reason, and then they still go with you know a1 versus b1 what they could have done in the first place it's just a red herring yeah mm-hmm. so yeah there's a, they've done a lot of red herrings lately too with any any of the kind of either tournament booking or even just kind of short-term booking so um but i i like the curveball i like that it's a little different um i it it does open things up if one of those weird anomaly matches happens though so i i think it's worth especially because i mean what i will say is that there is a lot maybe not a lot but there's some repeat booking happening you know like sonata is the champ and then hiromu is the first challenger to defend the honor of lij right they're repeating some of the kind of good storylines that they did put in place in 2020 when they had sort of lost some traction so something like that yo situation with hiromu even if it's not yo or even if it's not hiromu right i think that that's something that they could they could repeat and you know honestly potentially so many people weren't watching at that time that it, yeah it, it works yeah. we were the only ones watching that super junior <laughs> tournament i think <laughs> Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not a huge fan uh, of them going back to the semifinal format. I just feel like from a kayfabe perspective, like if I win my whole block, if I'm a top guy in the block, why then do I have to go on to face the second place guy in the other block versus me just going into the final since I won my whole block? Um, but I do see what you're saying, Chris, where it can open up st- other storyline potentials. But up to me, I'm I'm more of like the, the best two guys, the winner of each block, go at it. Oh, I I mean, ultimately, I agree. That's my preferred format. But if we're gonna do it, we may as well talk about it. <laughs> I I agree with that in theory. But there's something that you guys aren't taking into consideration, and it's something that has played out many times in the past. The number one and number two guy end up tying. And you yeah. know how we're always kind of asking, well, what happens at the end of a block when people tie? They're like, oh, well, then we have to go to Chris, and Chris tweets out the scenarios of how <laughs> how everything's going to play out in a situation. All like this, of the scenarios. All the scenarios. That's a gone. You don't have to worry about that. Now you can actually have a parody-based tournament where the top two guys go on regardless. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so even though there are negatives, they're, they're apparent with this type of um, style of booking, there are some positives because now it creates a situation where multiple people can be at the top of the block and continue on. There's also redemption angles where someone was losing more than you would expect them to. They get into the top two and then they can find a way to come from behind and like still get to the finals. It's also a unique style of tournament that we haven't seen gato have to book for so it's going to negate a lot of the repeating of the same story arcs and, and templates because it's a whole different type of style of tournament i mean just one small tweak changes everything and opens up a lot more opportunities for you know um booking outcomes yeah we also have to be on the lookout for injuries so in that 2014 tournament the last time they did this 
Alex Shelley was the winner of the B block, but then had a shoulder injury and had to be out. And so then the, the B3 actually got in uh, to the finals along with the B2. So injuries mm-hmm. like that could even mess the booking up and can throw throw things off too. Uh, we do have a, a point. question here from uh, Def Triangle 720. Uh, how do you guys feel about the lineup of best super juniors in the current direction of the junior division as a whole? I think that this is a great tournament. Um, the inclusions of like Dan Maloney and Leo Rush and Speedball and the returning Clark Connors, newly affiliated with Bull Club, those are all really cool welcome additions. I personally was hoping that there would be maybe not a lot. Like I don't want to go overboard and say that we needed to have someone from everybody from all the different domestic groups, but that all-star junior festival really did get my hopes up that they would include one or two outside domestic guys in the tournament. That doesn't seem to be the case, but it is kind of nice that this is a sort of insular new Japan tournament. It's like, all their guys for their tournament and there's really hardly anybody from the outside as opposed to last year where there's a lot of outside guys and so that's going to mostly benefit new japan directly and the the actual division itself which i think is maybe the strongest it's been in years right now yeah, the I mean the B block is all New Japan guys. I mean Dan Maloney is now, uh, you know, he's United Empire, so you got to figure he's going to be around quite a bit. Everyone else is just core New Japan. A block, you know, the the guys that you have that are kind of outsiders are Leo Rush and Mike Bailey, and truthfully, like who doesn't want to see them wrestle everyone in this block, right? So like mm-hmm. that's gonna and they're they're you know Leo Rush is essentially a New Japan guy now. It's the biggest company that he works for, and he works for. For New Japan pretty consistently. And, you know, Mike Bailey, as the, you know, the relationship with Impact has always been kind of the strongest relationship that that goes both directions. And, you know, seeing a guy like Mike Bailey come in, who's truly mostly independent still, too, and he works a ton of different places, like this is going to be, that's going to be killer. So um, the blocks are, are pretty well balanced. I think that the, um, I think that you know, the guys like Rush and, and Bailey and Maloney are going to add a ton of intrigue. Plus, you know, a, a freshly turned Clark Connors, um, Kevin Nutt, who's kind of on the come up. I, I'm so curious to see. He's had like less than 50 singles matches in his career. So, you know, to have him have nine in 16 days is going to be really interesting to watch, too. So I love, I, you know, Best of Super Juniors is my favorite tournament to watch as a fan. Um, you know, I think the G1 got, gets all the pomp and circumstance, but like you're going to get 10 great wrestling matches on what 10 nights, basically 10 nights in a row almost. I mean, like this is a fast moving tournament, both in the, you know, what's happening in the ring and also just the literal pace of the tournament, like in what 20 days, this tournament's over and it doesn't even start in, until Friday. So it's, it's, it's a sprint, uh, you know, it's, it's a sprint. So, you know, good luck to y'all. I won't be back until at least June, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm psyched for the tournament. I think it's going to be really great. A ton of great talents. Like you guys mentioned in here. And I think yeah, the junior division 
is in a, a very healthy spot right now with the domestic guys and with the foreigners that they're able to contract and bring in. And, you know, we talked about that during the pandemic. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, what's missing from the junior division? And we're like, the foreigners. I mean, traditionally, this junior division has been built on bringing in foreigners. And, you, you know, you look back to like Will Ospreay and Ricochet coming in and breaking the internet. Like, you look through the, the history of this tournament, there's been so many great outsiders, uh, foreigners brought in from the 90s all the way up until now. So I think we, we got some great uh, foreigners. We got um, some really great domestic guys, great guys on the roster. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun tournament. And I think we have a lot of great challengers queued up for Hiromu if he is going to go uh, V12 this year. So let's take a look um, at the blocks. We'll go through each guy, talk about their tournament history, and just kind of give our quick thoughts on the guy and maybe uh, one match that we're looking forward to that guy having in the block. Uh, so we'll start in the A block, and I have these guys listed uh, alphabetically by first name. So we'll start with Doki from just five guys, and five is the lucky number for him this year. This is Fifth entry and fifth consecutive best of Super Junior Tournament. Love Doki. Doki, Doki is 0-12 against other members of this particular block. So Ooh. any win he gets is going to be the first win against that particular wrestler. Um, with that said, I have Doki penciled in for four victories because he won one in his first year he won two in his second year he won three in his next <laughs> two best of super juniors tournaments and i think it's time for doki to get over that hump and win four matches put him put him in a a two slot <laughs> let's go i think he's probably um, gonna be more like a six yeah um doki i pretty much just want to see him wrestle Hiromu again that's his best opponent. They have the best matches. I'm excited for that. Uh, for me, I, I think, yeah, I'll see Hiromu is definitely a good one. Uh, I think him and Kushida, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, Doki does kind of remind me of like a, a wild and crazy Hiromu. And we know Hiromu and Kushida had great matches. So to kind of see how Doki and Kushida would mesh, uh, I think would be a pretty cool matchup. Um, but yeah, I'm of Chris. Yeah, I think Doki's going to continue to kind of level up here. And I mean, he's a part of just five guys. It's his fifth entry. Maybe he can get five wins. Ooh, ooh, a positive <laughs> record. Hey, anything can happen. He is nine and seven in the last 365 days. So that's not out of the question. He, he's on the come up. So next we got a uh, Hiromu Takahashi. This is his eighth entry, fourth consecutive. He won the tournament in 2018, 2020, 2021, and 2022, and he is the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. For the record, those are the last times. four tournaments that he was in because he wasn't <laughs> in the 19 tournament. So, yeah. Holy fuck. Okay. Um... <laughs> Well, Hiromu's champion, so I find it highly unlikely he's going to win the tournament. Uh, but I mean, if anyone's going to as a champ, it's probably him. He very well could end up in the finals, but uh, and very likely will end up in like the top four at least. Yeah. Um, as far as like who I want to see him wrestle, 
probably Kushida. They haven't wrestled in a really long time, and that's something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I don't think they've wrestled since like 2016. Um, yeah, Hiromu is 28, 10, and 1 across the, the four best of Super Junior tournaments that he won. Um, I don't think he's winning this year. I think I do think he might end up in the in the semis. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But I also think that like this particular block has a lot of guys that could that could beat Hiromu and set up a, a, a challenge. So like Ishimori is probably going to beat Hiromu. I could see that happening. And then, you know, maybe even someone like Bailey, Mike Bailey to set up a, a challenge down the line. Um, you know, but I think Hiromu and Leo Rush had a great match, um, you know, just a couple weeks ago. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing them run that back with a 30 minute time limit. Yeah, I think Hiromu is definitely going to get to the semifinals. I think Speedball is the number one match I'm looking forward to. Speedball doesn't care about his knees. Hiromu doesn't care about his back. So <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're going to go out there and just do some crazy stuff. And I think yeah, it's going to be a really fun uh, main event. Um, so next up, let's talk about Kushida. First tournament in five years. This is his 10th entry. Uh, he was the 2015 and 2017 winner, and he is one half of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm probably most excited for Kushida uh, to be in this tournament. I know a lot of people are looking forward to like Leo Rush and Mike Bailey, and for good reason, but Kushida is a guy that just hasn't been able to flex his full potential and abilities since he left New Japan. And even since he's returned, it's been um, pretty dismal. You know, even though he's had great matches and great outings and been doing fun stuff in the States, we haven't got a focused, centered junior domestic run for Kushida in any way at all. So this is going to be like his real true re-entry into the division, facing a lot of new opponents, facing a lot of old familiar foes. And um, I, I don't know, because she has always just been one of my favorite guys. I'm very excited. I'm interested to see what a show and Kushida match in 2023 actually looks like. And if there is anybody that can bring out the old show, it might be Kushida. So between Kushida and Hiromu... Uh, from 2015 till now, um, they've won all but two of the best of super juniors tournaments and the other two were won by Will Ospreay. Um, so, you know, with that said, like this, this particular block is pretty stacked with experience. Um, Kushida included, he's got 60 best of the super junior matches under his belt and 43 wins. So, um, I would imagine you know, and, and, and like Josh said, like this is kind of his re-entry into the singles division, even though he's, he's holding the tag title too. So anything he does could lead to um, something that'll, that'll happen with the junior tag title. So I'm watching guys like guys that have, you know, semi baked in um, tag team partners, like even Titan or Doki or Ishimori um watching those or tjp of course right so like a bunch of these guys could end up in the in the junior tag picture in the near future too so that's kind of what i'm keeping an eye on for kushida because um i think they're gonna quickly set up some challengers for for that title too 
Yeah, I'm excited for Kushida back in the tournament. Um, I think him and TJP is going to be a great matchup. Those guys, they're both so smooth, great technical wrestlers. I think they're going to end up having a really great match. And yeah, I think Kushida is going to be one of those guys that kind of reminds people just how great he is in this tournament. Um, and he's a guy I could see being, you know, one of the semifinalists, one of the A1 or A2 um, in this tournament. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that him him and uh, TJP is probably the match that I'm looking out for next to like the Hiromu match. So next up, we have the man of the hour, Leo Rush, making his debut entry in the tournament. He's, I mean... He's going to be a good time if he can keep himself like at 100% throughout the whole tournament. Um, most of most of what he's got are first time matchups. You know, the only wrestlers that he has wrestled in his block are Kushida, Ishimori and Mike Bailey. So show TJP Titan. Um, oh, I, he's he's obviously wrestles Hiromu too. Doki and Taguchi are all first time matches and he Leo Rush is such a creative guy that like I don't know that I could pick someone but honestly that do- that Dookie match that's going to be fun like I have a feeling about that one that they're just they're going to have a moment you know um for me I think it's like TJP and Leo Rush it's their first time in the tournament and they've never well Maybe they have wrestled each other. I don't know, but this is the first time I've ever seen them wrestle each other, especially on a, like a major stage. They so have- no, they've never wrestled. So this is like that's the match for me. Period. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the the match I'm most anticipating for A Block, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, really excited for Leo being the tournament. Uh, you know, there's also history too of him and TJP from. You know, Russell Kingdom and you know, Lee Yo going up against Catch 2 2. So I'm sure there's, there's some bad blood there that'll get reignited between those guys. We did see Leo face Ishimori on one of the strong tapings uh, last summer, and that was a really fun matchup. So I think with some more time and in, in, in Japan audience, that match could be better than what we saw um, in the U.S. Um, but for me, I, I think it, him and probably Speedball is probably the match I'm looking forward to. Um, those guys are just both super fast and do some high risk stuff. So I think that uh, will be a really fun matchup. And yeah, I think Leo is going to yeah be a welcome addition in this tournament. Um, so speaking of speedball, the next guy we'll, we'll look at speedball Mike Bailey debut entry. Yeah, I mean a fun entry to the to the division. I hope he sticks around after the tournament a little bit. I hope that um, you know I hope that the tournament kind of pays off for him too. As for what I'm, I mean, I'm excited to just see how um, his entire tournament goes and and kind of what what comes out of it, and if this is kind of the beginning or something, or if this is just a one-off, uh, you know, shot. He hasn't been to Japan in a in, in a couple of years, and I think that he's really going to resonate with the fan base there. So I'm excited to see kind of the crowd reactions too. Sometimes when um, they bring in uh, like a new entry especially for super juniors in particular, they just seem to get over. Like, you know, there's always that kind of question of like, oh, well, what if the fans don't know them or whatever? But this style of wrestling is so dazzling and spectacular. And, you know, if you've seen Mike Bailey, you already know that he fits that motif, you know, to a T. So he's going to be, he's going to gain a lot of fan support. I'm sure management probably knows that. But as far as where he's going to end up in the tournament, 
it, it's really precarious, you know, because he's 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 definitely like a main player in Impact right now, but he also is able to eat losses, you know. So it's hard to tell whether he's gonna. I could see him literally being a finalist of this tournament. Maybe I don't think he will win it necessarily, but I think he could potentially be a finalist. I could also very reasonably see him, see him being like a just over 500 guy. Yeah. I think though it, 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 he kind of runs the gamut there. So it's, it's such an unknown at this time to see what kind of push and utilization they're going to give to him. You know, the, the thing he does have going for him last year, we had champions and outside guys from every group. So everybody had to kind of get, you know, pushed to a certain degree and, end up with equal points and that's not really the case this year so if they wanted to go with one outside guy he's probably the one that they would really push and uh again i'm most looking forward to him and leo rush yeah i'm very excited about speedball being in the tournament this year um i talked to him last year mania weekend and you know i told him yeah, i would love to see him in super juniors and he's like yeah it's like a goal of mine so Pretty cool to see that, that that goal happen for him and him being back in, in Japan in general. And so, yeah, I think he's going to get over very quickly from his first matchup. I think he's going to be uh, a hit, hit with the domestic audience. Um, and, yeah, the Leo Russ match is going to be incredible. I mean, honestly, like I'm looking forward to pretty much all his matches. Like Every match up here looks great for him. So really excited, and I think it's, he's going to have a, a stellar tournament. Uh, we did have a question here from MJS PR. What do you think of Mike Bailey's positioning on the Best Super Junior cards? Seems like he's got a few main and co-main events. What is a realistic outcome for him in the tournament? I think we kind of covered that, but with him having a lot of mains and, and co-mains, I do think that kind of leads more to him potentially being top of the block. Well, he's the biggest outsider in the tournament this this year. I mean, he's really kind of the only like really truly non new Japan guy that we don't expect to kind of like stick around permanently. So, um, you know, with that said, I think to be a good partner, you, you feature him and he's also kind of one of those guys that's at the top of his game in the U S so people are paying attention to him. So you may as well put him in the, put him in the spot and, and you know, he he'll, he's going to deliver. He's great. So what's his outcome, realistic outcome to me, realistic outcome is he gets to the semis. Um, especially because those are just wide open and, and those kind of allow for people to have people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be in a big spot, right? Like in the G1 last year, we saw Thomas Hanga in the, in the semis and like, you know, you kind of knew he wasn't going to go off to the final, but at least he got that one big, you know, single elimination match that, you know, was, was really featured. And I, I could see Bailey being that kind of guy too. Yeah, Definitely. So moving on to the next guy, Risuke Taguchi. His 20th entry, 18th consecutive. He was the winner in 2012. Taguchi's just there, you know? Um, long gone are the days of you can't count out Taguchi. You can count out Taguchi. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we get one appearance of serious big match Taguchi, that will be the victory because even that's not happening in these tournaments any longer. Um, I am firmly at this point in the camp. I don't need to see Taguchi in these tournaments anymore. He 
does have 69 total best of super juniors losses of course he does so <laughs> of course he does he's, uh, <laughs> he's got to be very motivated to to win at all of his best of super juniors matches because you got to figure that's where he wants to stay <laughs> he also has 78 best of super junior wins i mean the man has participated in the most best of super junior master matches of all time he passed liger in last year's during last year's tournament so um you know with that said you know i agree with everyone <laughs> he's he's the junior yano yeah yeah, I said my piece last week. Yeah, I'd, I'd be perfectly fine with him never being in a tournament again. But he's here. He's, he's going to do some wacky stuff. Like like Josh said, hopefully we'll, we can get one big match. Maybe maybe him and Speedball can have you know his one big match of the tournament. When's when's the last time this man stepped on a scale? That that is another great. Is this question. man two hundred and five pounds? That's a, come on. His pants don't stay up. Sometimes yeah. by choice. <laughs> but like is this man uh, is this man under 205 i don't know i don't know well, I'm skeptical. The, the limit's 220 in japan oh that's right but i i don't know still still yeah. the point stands he's a he's, still he's a pretty thick. big dude yeah i think we you know pull a, a buddy matthews here get, get the scale out make, <laughs> make these guys weigh in before tournament starts because something's not not right here i think on a weight-based tournament, you think they would. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't think I have a standout match for Gucci. I, I just kind of hope that he gives us one one notebook match the, the whole tour. Well, you know, uh, I think the last time him and Kushida wrestled each other, wasn't there like that really fast roll-up in like 20 seconds or something like that? Yeah, like the Gucci pinned him in like 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! So uh, let's next up. Let's talk about show. He's uh, on his sixth entry, six consecutive. I do not care about show being <laughs> in this tournament unless show is going to show me something to convince me otherwise. <laughs> well, you're in luck. Show is uh, ten and twenty-one against other members of the A block, so he's fighting from behind. Um. Yeah, I'm ready for funny faces. That's kind of all I know about uh, about show right now. He's I I I of House of Torture gimmick guys. Show is my least favorite because I just I just don't think it it stuck. And I think he's still he's still he hasn't really fallen into it. And he's still trying real hard to make it make it work. I think show is literally the most damning aspect of the whole new Japan fell off shit that people try to say. And, you know, you can point to so many things and be like, no, that's not true. But then when they point to show, you're like, yeah, you got me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're going to get a lot of funny faces, a lot, a lot of wrench shots, probably some, you know, lights going off, Dick Togo getting involved. All, all the shenanigans will be happening uh, with show. Um, again, I, I hope what Josh was saying, you know, Kushida could maybe, Reek, you know, bring out that that old show, but that would, that would be cool to see. Um, if we just got the old show in general for all these matches, like imagine if we had like Rapungi 3K show right now in in this field, like he would have a killer tournament. 
Um, but instead, we're going to get the, the goofy faces and all the House of Torture shenanigans. Sad. Uh, next guy from the Bull Club, Taiji Ishimori, seventh entry, six consecutive. It should be great in theory, right? He's a threat. You never know what you're getting with Tai Chi or Tai Chi. Tai Chi. <laughs> also it's, Tai Chi. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, you know, he could go out there and be super motivated and put on uh, an incredible tournament performance or it might be uneven. You never know with this guy these days. He does have the best all time record against A Block, other, other A Block entrants. So he has, I guess, the history on his side. And he he only has one first time match in this year's A block, and that's TJP. Um, believe it or not, he's twelve and four in singles matches in the last three hundred sixty five days. So he's still a guy that wins a lot. Um, he you know he's a threat. He he's one of those guys. Another one of those guys that I could see just making it to the semis, and you know knowing that he had a good showing, and he's a you know ultimately like a high-end good hand for the junior division um but hiromu's been talking a lot about um kind of i guess last year's tournament he, he needs to like vanquish all his losses and one of those was Ta- uh taiji shimori so um there are some people that that pay really close attention to the the backstage promos that are pointing to that as a um as a tell that Ishimori's gonna um make it at least you know, either to the finals or, or win the tournament. Yeah, I mean, Ichimura is definitely a guy that they can go with. Like you mentioned, he's pretty protected, former champion, usually does pretty well um, in these tournaments. But, yeah, we don't know if we're going to get uh, a Ishimori that's going to try really hard or if we're going to get an Ishimori that's going to kind of rest on his laurels and um, kind of lay into the more of the Bullet Club shenanigans. Um but I think he's in here of guys that, that will kind of make him push the pace and kind of bring out that, you know, Noah version of Ishimori where he's doing all these flipping elbows. Um, so I think um, him and, and Speedball would be a, probably a great match. Him and, and Leo Rush. Um, there's a lot, a lot of great guys in this block. I think that will push him and have um, a really great tournament. Uh, so next up, the next guy... Teton, this is fourth entry, second consecutive, and he is still the CMLL World Welterweight Champion. And this year, he's a, a member of LIJ. Teton kind of feels a little bit sort of like the forgotten man, um, just a bit, you know, maybe because he hasn't been as active recently in new Japan. He's been working primarily in CMLL, but um, he's one of the tip top guys that they have in that promotion. So while yes, we, we made mention of Mike Bailey being a, a you know, a major guy in his uh, prom- home promotion. Teton is arguably a bigger star in his home promotion, but that hasn't seemed to fully translate completely over to new Japan. Like they've been, they booked him respectfully ever since he got, um, you know, the, the alignment with LIJ, but we have yet to see them really push him in a major singles role. Perhaps that might change here. I don't know. He had a really 
incredible showing for himself last year in the super juniors, which I felt was a coming out party of sorts, but um, we haven't seen him get utilized the way say like dragon Lee was in the past or anything like that. So um, I don't know if I think he's going to do like go to a, a semifinal or anything like that, but it'd be pretty cool if he did. Um, and there's a lot of great guys for him to, to wrestle here. I think I'm probably most excited for him and TJP though. Yeah, so he's he's wrestled TJP three times, and and he's three and zero against him. He's actually got a really good track record. Um, he's six and four against the rest of the block uh, historically. So, and he actually has a winning record over Hiromu. Some of that was in CMLL Kamatachi, but uh, um, yeah, I mean that's actually probably the match that if they if they go straight on it, that I think is the match that I'm most intrigued by is uh titan and hiromu i think he's a middle of the pack guy i think he's a great wrestler um one of my one of my favorites in the, in this whole field i think he's just he's so good and he's really really good in singles matches um so i'm really excited for the hiromu match and you know if hiromu is out here setting up challengers I, I do wonder if that's um that's one way to get someone from his own unit um a challenge yeah, I think a Teton Hiromu tile match would be a lot of fun. Um, and that'll, that'll be a fun matchup. I'm also looking forward to uh, Teton and Doki. You know, Doki's always on the war against, you know, hipster luchadors and wanting to prove that he has the, the true <laughs> lucha style. So I think him and uh, Teton can go out there and have a really fun uh, lucha match. I didn't think of that, but that you're absolutely yeah. right. Um, last guy in the block here we'll talk about is TJP. It's his third entry, second consecutive. Um, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but kind of feels like this blocks Kenamaru. Mm. You know, a guy that's a uh, great hand, very inventive. He's going to do cool and interesting things with people out there. He's not going to be you know probably be middle of the road or bottom of the pack type guy but he's gonna have awesome matches and further storylines and be a, a dickish heel it's gonna be great yeah um i think that's a pretty good comp and i you know what i'm a kanamaru guy so i take it as a compliment actually if i were tjp um again another one of those i i think the match worth keeping an eye on is the Kushida match it's first time matchup and it could obviously play into the um the tag title situation the junior tag title situation so if catch you two wants to get back into that you got to figure tjp has got a shot at pinning Kushida yeah I think the Kanamaru comp is a, a great one especially because I think both Kanamaru and tjp are guys who are very underrated um, they're way better than people give them credit for. Um, and he's going to be that veteran guy that's going to have uh, a great match with everybody in this block. But yeah, like you guys, I'm looking forward to that Kushida match. Um, and hopefully that we, that leads to another rematch between Catch 2-2 and the Jet Setters. So let's uh, jump to the B block now. So we'll start with Bushi, 11th entry, 8th consecutive. Next. Yeah. <laughs> he's the least interesting guy because he's been around a lot and he's he's just bushy um he he'll probably pop up for one or two really good matches maybe el desperado i feel like that's a good matchup there 
um, or even some of the younger guys. So Kevin Knight, Dan Maloney, Clark Connors. Bushi's one of those guys that you want to get in the ring with because he is solid. Um, so yeah, kind of most curious about uh, his performance against those guys or, or kind of elevating those guys, even though he may win or lose. You know, he's, he's a middle of the block kind of guy. Not this year. Calling it right now. This is the first year Bushi will not be a middle-of-the-pack guy. He will be bottom of the block. There's too many well-established and upcoming names that they're going to have to put attention on. I think he will firmly be in the spoiler role, an upset guy, but he's not getting five wins like he normally does. I think we're going to see him go get like two or three. But I think this is a block where a bunch of guys get four wins. I think this is the B block, the parody block. Right, they they might all get four. He's getting three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm telling you, <laughs> sub five hundred B. What, what did he if get? everyone's the if everyone's close to the middle of the road, everyone is the middle of the road. <laughs> nah, they're in the middle, and he's even lower. There, it's like this: like you've got a middle class. Please don't explain math to me. <laughs> I am Chris Samsa. Do you know who I am? <laughs> you got a middle class, and then you got beneath middle class. You know that's Bushi. He's on the other side of town. <laughs> you calling him poor? Yeah, <laughs> I've heard he does well for himself. What those masks? You see all those masks? Yeah. How do you think he affords that? <laughs> he's got two masks per show. <laughs> That's why he's poor. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, Bushi, yeah, he'll be. You know, he'll have some fun matches. Um, like you're saying, yeah, the Destiny match will probably be <laughs> the, his best. Take matches match. out of there and just say he'll have some fun. <laughs> He'll have a good time. He'll come out with a spawn mask or, you know. A- I, you know, here's the thing. I've also heard Bushi's a good time guy, so. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Let your imagination I'll run wild. When you're older. <laughs> I'll explain when you're older. <laughs> oh, man. Let's uh, move on to Clark Connors' uh, second entry, second consecutive. He's now a member of the Bullet Club, and it seemed like they were kind of positioning him as uh, Finley's right-hand man in this new version of Bullet Club. Another good time guy. <laughs> the Wild Rhino, baby. <laughs> Getting it. There's a, I've seen this thing at the um, grocery store, or not the grocery store, gas like station. the gas station. It says Wild Rhino on it. You can take those. I don't know what you use it for, but... oh. Joe Lanza takes those. Um, <laughs> y'all listen to the flagship. Yeah. You get like four. There's like four little pills. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's one weird. of them's hot. It's like a, it's like an electric uh, electric wire. You know, one one of them's the hot wire. One of them, the three aren't. It's kind of like Russian roulette oh. for your nether regions. Um, Clark Connors, he's gonna have a good tournament because he just turned. Um, so you got to figure <laughs> we're all losing it. It's been a long show already. Yeah. Um, a long day. <laughs> I think Connors is going to be one of those guys that makes it to kind of the final night, but I don't know that he passes through to the semis necessarily. I don't know if that's where I would, I would make my bets. Um, but I think he's due for a push, especially because of the big turn that just happened and they've got to establish him as, you know, as a bullet club guy. So, I also wonder what that looks like, right? Like, does that look like David Finley's version of the Bullet Club where he's just brutal? Because um, I'm here for that. I mean, Connors has the look for that. 
So I'm, I'm hopeful that that's the direction that they go where he's just savage as, as Finley likes to say, but um, yeah, I'm expecting, I'm expecting a fun, good tournament. I think Connors is, he's one of the, he's a power junior. So I think that that's, that's going to be his role is to, to be the, power junior of this block and you know i think that that's a nice change of pace from what people typically expect from best of super juniors every year for years and years and years i always booked predicted and anticipated a much more successful best of the super juniors for elp and he never was a guy that made it to the finals and he was never a guy that he was always in play, but he was never a guy that actually won the, the, the whole thing. So it would be hard for me to double down and say that they're going to do that with a newly turned Clark Connors. However, if you were going to do it, now might be a cool, fun, exciting time to go that way, especially with the fact that it's a semifinal year. It's not just a, a you know, a top of the block facing off. Um, we don't know what Clark Connors is going to wrestle like in this new iteration really, because we've only seen the one singles match and it was essentially a squash. So it's, there's a lot of unanswered questions. We don't know how, how far they're going to push him. I mean, they did just recently belt up Kevin Knight. Obviously that's a great sign for someone like Clark Connors, who has been doing these tours. This isn't his first super juniors and has been given a gimmick. So these are all positive signs from, but uh, I'm most excited regardless of how they push him, just to see, how he works with everybody when he's not bogged down by, you know, the, I don't know, outback Jack, you know, gimmick and <laughs> all that and having to go 500. So. Yeah. I'm, outback Jack. Crocodile Dundee, whatever you want to call I it. I guess that's better. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. The wild rhino. Yeah, but he's not wild rhino. Anymore, the trunks were rhino. I think he has, a, get a new, he has a new nickname now, right? I don't know what it is. I think I thought I was hoping to see him against other bull club members, but I guess we're not going to get that. So, yeah, but yeah, I think you'll have a, a good tournament. Um, I think um, you know him and Kevin Knight; they have a history. I think that will be um, a fun matchup. I think him and Desperado can kind of have a, a more power uh, junior style matchup. So. Yeah, I think he's gonna. It's gonna be fun to watch. We have a question here from Les Commission seven two five two. Says in my block predictions, I have Clark Connors with twelve points, but not in the semifinals. Do you guys uh, think he could amount to those points with how the B block is looked at? This could be Clark Connors' shining moment by making him look like a threat from the start of the tournament until he's defeated at the end, but looks like a badass contender for Hiromu after Dominion. Yeah, I mean, I think this will be an establishing tournament for him. So I think he's going to he's gonna get some wins. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that it's going to be a good tournament for him. And I, I mean, if we're ultimately looking at this tournament as a way to get a viable contender for Hiromu, and if you're in my camp where I think Hiromu is going to beat whoever wins this tournament anyways, then you could definitely do a situation where Clark Connors either ends up in the finals or ends up beating Hiromu, like, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you could set him up as a challenger down the road through the means of this tournament. And I think that'd be a good thing. Yeah. 
So next up, let's talk about Dan Maloney making his debut entry, making his New Japan debut. We know that he was given the United Empire armband, and he accepted, so I'm guessing he's uh, officially will be representing United Empire in this tournament. So I know very little about Dan Maloney, but I know that his look is tremendous. Like, this dude looks like he can go, so I'm excited to to get to know his style i'm not against dan maloney being in new japan or anything like that i i think that from what i've seen of him he is very good but is anybody else against the fact or against the idea of him being in united empire like i am like do they need three juniors right now um i don't think they need it but um well, Akira and, and TJP are established as a tag team, so they, they do need a singles junior. Yeah, but you can be in a tag team and operate as singles guys and when you're not the champions. I just feel like it's a little overkill. They like This group is pretty big already, but anyways, I digress. Um, Dan Maloney and Clark Connors is going to be a hoss fight. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think Dan's going to be another power junior in this block. And, um, you know, like I mentioned last week, he's improved a ton since he left NXT UK. He's been having a lot of great stuff in Rev Pro. So, yeah, I'm excited to see how his presentation comes off and how he mixes it up with um, all these other juniors. Next up, let's talk about El Desperado. This is uh, seventh entry, fourth consecutive. My take on El Desperado is that he's really good and he should win the fucking tournament (laughs) (laughs) or if he doesn't win he should go heavy because he's got he's kind of got that build where he could justifiably go heavy Um, but I would love to see him actually get a win um, and and get kind of the moment and you know what whether or not he loses to Hiromu you know that I I don't think that would matter if he ended up winning the, the Super Junior tournament finally yeah, I think um, Desperado winning the tournament makes the most sense. And I think that setting up a match between him and Hiromu, um, you know, after this is something that makes a lot of sense as well. It would do really great numbers, great business. And I think they've wanted to do a match like that on a big stage with an audience and with cheering crowds and everything like that. So, um, plus that would be someone that could very believably be a credible threat to Hiromu's ongoing title defense, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, crusade. Desperado and Hiromu and Osaka Joe Hall sounds like a great time. Yeah, that would be... With a full cheering crowd. Like, that sounds like a great time. Yeah. Yeah, I also think Desperado's a great pick to to win the tournament. Uh, I'm kind of booking uh, Kushida and Desperado as my tournament finals. Uh, I think that would be a great, you know, two of Hiromu's greatest rivals facing off in the finals. Um, and then you could always give Kushida a shot later on. But yeah, I think Desperado finally, you know, winning it up, getting over to that really in that next level. And then, yeah, building a really big match for him and Hiromu at Dominion, I think is the way to go. Uh, next up, Francisco Akira, his second entry, second consecutive. He's kind of 
stale to me right now. But I mean, mostly because he was stuck in the tag thing. So I, I'm I'm excited for a bunch of singles matches from Akira. Um, I think he's really good. I just think he he really got wrapped up in the catch two two thing, and I think that that was awesome for TJP. But I I do think it kind of stalled out Akira's ascent, and I think that's part of why Dan Maloney's in in United Empire now. Akira's super young still. So I think that there's a ton of time and potential for him to really build up, you know, and what I'm hoping for is that he has, you know, a kind of an establishing tournament so he can step back into the singles division um, as the rest of this year goes on. Yeah, I kind of agree. But uh, the one point I do disagree with you on Chris is that I thought last year's tournament showed us per like showed us that he's a great talent, but a guy that wasn't ready to be pushed in that way and kind of needed that catch two two um vehicle to sort of establish a character sure and so now i think that i'm on the same page as you i think that we're looking to see him further uh establish himself moving through this tournament i don't think he'll be a finalist or anything like that but um he has a, a second chance at really breaking out in a super junior summer. He had a great tournament last year, but mm-hmm. I feel like this time with the, you know, a year behind him, it's going to be even better. Yeah. I think points wise. And as far as who I want to, I want to see him in Robbie Eagles. Mm. Yeah. I think points wise, he's going to end up like four and five, but yeah, I think he'll have a, another great overall tournament. And I agree with you guys. I definitely want to see, yeah, more of what he can do in a singles role. And, yeah, I mean, him and Eagles will be a great matchup. And I think seeing how he interacts with Dan Maloney when they have their matchup, um, just kind of seeing how those interactions are, I think will be interesting as well. Um, yeah, but Robbie Eagles. Also, I guess uh, Kevin Knight uh, would be another interesting match just seeing their, their history based off of the catch 2-2 jet setter rivalry. I think him and Kevin Knight could have a fun singles match as well. So uh, moving on, speaking of uh, Kevin Knight, he's the next guy we'll talk about. This is his debut entry, and he is one half of the junior tag team champions. Super excited for Kevin Knight. Um, Again, like I said, he has very few singles matches under his belt, but, um, you know, he's, he's someone that clearly the company believes in and clearly has, you know, he's got a really special skill set and you know i think this is this is really where we're going to see what he, what he's got right i mean nine singles matches in whatever 16 days it's going to be it's going to be a run for him but he he's got such good energy and you know he's such a cool little baby face guy right now and i think if he gets a little bit of an edge and like really establishes kind of what his um kind of pace and move set is i think he's going to have a really cool tournament this you know this is not a tournament he's going to win or even threaten to win but um you know if he can if he can show up at a high level he can establish you know a pretty long-term career for himself i think but this is sort of a test for him and clearly someone like kushida believes in him um because they tagged up and they you know they gave him the nickname and all that but um, you know, it's time for him to fly on his own a little bit and, you know, no pun intended, but, um, you know, I think I, I, I'm super excited. I was really excited when he got announced, you know, I kind of figured he would after they won the tag, uh, tag titles, but, um, 
yeah, this he's he's the guy that I'm probably going to watch most closely just to kind of see where he's at in his development. This is a growth tournament for him. Um, the first time that we're really going to see it, like Chris said earlier, he's had like less than 50 recorded singles matches his entire career. So to see him have, you know, nine matches in this span of time um, is going to be really incredible. Um, and it's going to tell us a lot. It's going to answer a lot of unanswered questions and it's going to reveal quite a bit. It's going to be a huge growing opportunity for him as well. And I, I think more so than anything else, don't be surprised if uh, he ends up being one of those guys that really breaks out and gets over, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think this, yeah, it'll be a great opportunity for him. Um, and I don't think having the junior tag title is going to help his point total too much. Um, Cause he could be a guy that eats a lot of losses that helps sets up junior tag title matches. I think for him, he's probably going to end up with e- three wins, maybe four wins. Um, but I think he's just going to have a lot of great fiery uh, appearances, uh, fiery matchups. And like Chris was saying, ton of charisma, ton of energy, super cool. And um, yeah, I think that he's going to be one of the guys that kind of stands out with just his jumping ability and high flying moves. Uh, so next up, Master Watto, fourth entry, fourth consecutive. I think Master Watto is a potential outside dark horse finalist or even potential winner of the tournament. I'm not saying count on it. I'm not saying, you know, put your money on that. But I'm also saying don't count it out. I think Watto Mania may run wild, which I'm here for. Um, it's a little strange. He, he, he had a lot of momentum coming into the beginning of the year, and I don't know that they've necessarily leveraged that um, as well as they could have, especially leading up to best of the super juniors. But that's not to say he can't heat up and have some really good, good matches. And, you know, really it, it, it kind of felt like the whole division was working for Watto to try to build him up and put him into that position. He's another one of those guys from that, kind of next generation, right? He came in around the same time Great Khan came back, right? So he came back in 2020, which didn't do him any favors, you know, and honestly, some of the other stuff that happened surrounding him <laughs> didn't do him any favors. But I think, you know, I think there's a chance that he goes pretty far in this tournament and he he may be that like tragic case where he just constantly gets close um and and the crowd gets super into him and and he just can't see the seal the deal until he finally does when he's actually ready ready to take the big step wins the title the whole shot so um though with that said you know i think watto i i would pencil watto into at least going to the semis yeah it seems like he has a lot more main events than he usually gets he's main eventing uh night two against yo and it seems like he's been being put in some high positions throughout this tournament. Um, and, you know, they have kind of been slowly building him up. And, you know, he's ha- was in the, the Fatal 4-Way and, and part of that whole storyline at the end of last year. So, yeah, I definitely think he's one of those guys where, yeah, he could sneak in as um, a B2 guy in the semifinals. Um, and, you know, he's been improving a ton. And if you want to get him over, you know, 
that the semifinals is a good way to do that. I will say this. If they don't give him some sort of meaningful something, and it needs to be like, we're not talking about like an extra win than he normally gets, but something significant that actually leads to growth, then we might need to start having a real discussion about Watto because after this year's Wrestle Kingdom, it really seemed like there was juice behind his, you know, behind him and there was actual momentum. And now we're like, how many years out from, I mean, at least three, he, he came into the company off excursion in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, yeah, I mean, if we're going into a fourth year where he's still just bottom of the pack, middle of the road guy, I don't know. Yeah, that can be good for him. Uh, next up, Robbie Eagles, fifth entry, fifth consecutive. Robbie's sort of in a unfortunate position in some regard because even though he just joined TMDK and that was fresh, new, and exciting, the timing of it wasn't necessarily the most beneficial from a booking perspective because um, he did come back. He got the title shot against Romo and he lost. And it seems highly unlikely that he's going to turn around and win Super Juniors and get a return match, you know, especially since it seems like they are going forward with Hiromu continually defending to uh, upend the title record. Mm-hmm. So if he, even if he did win, he'd probably most likely be in another losing position, I'm guessing. I could be wrong. Um, that's not to say that Robbie's not going to have a fantastic tournament and maybe even capitalize on what he does now later in the year. That's definitely there. Plus, I don't know if he has a, a tag team partner ready. I don't know if there's anyone in Team DK that that could work with him, but you know, there's also always the opportunity to face off against uh, the junior tag team champions as well. So that's also on the table. But it just normally... Robbie would be a top contender to win a block um, given all the circumstances surrounding him, especially since it's like a a 1A, 1B sort of situation. But this year, he could be a finalist, he could be a semifinalist, but he's not winning this thing most likely. Yeah, I think he doesn't have the momentum required to to win the tournament. I would love to see him win a best super junior. So, but I mean, Eagles is without a doubt, my favorite wrestler in this, uh, in this tournament, he did just kind of switch units again. So that's, that does always lead to, you know, potentially some stronger performance. Um, so here, here's hoping, but yeah, the writing's not on the wall for Robbie to, to really be a, be a player in this year's tournament, but I would love, love, love to be surprised by that. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I don't think he's going to end up winning. But when you look at the field, he is one of the most veteran guys in this block. Um, So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he at least gets to the semifinals or being very near the top of the block. Um, And I think there's a lot of fun matchups here for him um, in this block. Um, Probably him and Desperado. I feel like that, that could be a big time matchup for him. So next up, uh, second to last here, guy we have to talk about is Yo, six entry, third consecutive. 
Yeah, Yo is it, kind of the perpetual underdog, I guess, when it comes down to it. I mean, he he's he's nine and thirteen against other members of this block, and he only has winning records against Watto, Kanemaru, and the Eagles. He's one in seven all time against Bushi and one in five against El Desperado. So those are the kind of guys, those are the two guys that I think he needs to kind of get past. Um, you know, for a while there, it looked like they were, you know, Yo had a chance to really kind of become a, a player, a, you know, a long-term player in the, in the junior division. And I don't know that that really stuck, um, but I did, you know, obviously he had some growth through that period too. So, um, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm, I don't have anything that I'm super, super excited to see from Yo, except for maybe, I guess, like Kevin Knight, because it's so fresh. And I think that the styles will be, um, I think that, I think that Kevin Knight could really come out of his shell against a wrestler like Yo, because Yo really is that kind of guy that, um, can elevate the person he's working with, even though he doesn't always kind of get over that hump himself. So, um, but yeah, he's, He's kind of a known entity, I guess, is kind of the best way to say, you know, what what we've got with Yo and what to expect. Yeah, um, you know, I, my knee-jerk reaction is to kind of dismiss Yo because it's Yo. That's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of, um, it's sort of. A I've case. heard he's a a hoe. Is yeah, that right. That oh. is accurate. <laughs> Someone told um, me that. I think it was Karen. But at the same time, um, it's more of a case of what have you done for me lately? Because truth be told, when you look back at what he's done in 2023 and the tail end of last year, he's had a great run and kind of turned the corner on some of the uh, criticisms we've had about him. But he's also not necessarily the mark of consistency. Like he's not always on. And what I'd like to see is a guy that's always on, you know? And so maybe in this tournament, he can do what we've been waiting years and years for him to do, which is like, go out there and be a fucking star. You know, can you do that? <laughs> can you be a star? <laughs> I would like to see that from yo. And it, there's also no discounting the idea that he could be a finalist for this block as well, because he has in the past and that's always on the table. Yeah. I, I feel like him team with Leo Rush this last uh, several months has really kind of helped invigorate him and kind of help just change his character up a little bit. And so I do think that, um, you know, he, he does have a little bit more of an edge since teaming with Leo. And so I definitely think he should have a more interesting tournament this year, especially just match wise. And yeah, he's probably definitely gonna be a player uh, going into the semifinals and maybe even finals. Um, I do think the Kevin Knight match could be fun. That could lead to tag team implications with jet setters versus Leo rush and yo. Um, also, I think you, you mentioned Desperado match, I think would be fun as well. So I think, you know, if he continues to be as motivated as he was teaming with Leo rush, I think he could have a really great tournament in this block. And the last guy here from just five guys, Yoshinobu Kanamaru his sixth entry third consecutive. He's, he's a good hand. Um, I love, I love Kanemaru. I know that I, I really liked the title match against Hiromu recently too. I think that was really good. Um, but I think you kind of know what you're going to get. I like that. He's not, um, heel master Kanemaru these days so much. Um, so I, I hope we get kind of straight shooter 
Kanemaru for this for the rest of the tournament. I kind of reestablish him as a you know a guy that takes this this stuff all pretty seriously. So, um, but he's a, he's a great wrestler. He always has been, and will continue to be. So, um, you know, I think putting Kanemaru in there with the the younger end of this block, I think, is going to make for some really good stuff and hopefully some progress. It's going to be awesome um, seeing Kanemaru in this tournament. He's had a great run recently and you know he's working a, a bit of a different style i'm sure we'll still see some of his old tricks you know crop up uh here and there but uh yeah it's gonna be interesting plus he's in the same block as desperado first time that those guys have faced mm. off against one another since the you know they stopped teaming together in the suzuki and split so that's gonna be interesting yeah, Kanemaru is always a ton of fun in these tournaments. He always finds creative ways to beat people, and he'll be the guy that targets the body part. Um, there's there's no uh, not a ton of undercard, so no, he can't really do a lot of jumping that way. But um, he he'll find a body part to pick apart, and he'll he'll have a lot of fun. But yeah, the Desperado match will definitely be one to kind of keep our eyes on to see their interactions and how intense that gets. Of them no longer teammates. Uh, so we had a question here from OKOK890. Okay, okay, Any dark horse picks to win Best Super Juniors or at least make the semifinals? We kind of went through that. We, yeah, I was going to say, we kind of went through that as we went through these guys. But I think if we're looking at current trends and, and guys getting kind of skyrocketed, you have to pay attention to guys like, mm, let's see, Connors. Uh, yeah, because specifically guys that come from within, right? Come from within the system. So Connors, if they really believe in Kevin Knight, Kevin Knight's a chance to get to the semis, I guess, right? And I guess Watto. So a lot of that B block is really like the homegrown younger guys. And then the A block is really like mostly the established guys that are either super established within New Japan or you know, guys like Mike Bailey and Leo Rush that were super established outside of New Japan. So it is kind of a tale of two blocks. So like the really young guys, Akira, Knight, Watto, and, you know, Maloney, Connors, you know, I I should look at the average age of each of these blocks because it's probably pretty significantly different where the B block is significantly younger than the A block. Um, So yeah, those are the dark horse guys. I think, you know, Connors, um, Connors and Watto specifically are the ones that I would be keeping an eye on. Yeah, I think those two have the best chances out of out of the names you, you mentioned. So we do have tournament action kicks off uh, Friday, May twelfth from Cork and Hall, and like we mentioned, majority of these shows are going to be all ten matches, ten block matches, no undercard. So we'll kick things off on the twelfth in Corkin. We got Clark Connors versus Kevin Knight, Taguchi versus Ishimori, Bushi versus Dan Maloney, Kushida versus Doki, Master Wato versus Francisco Akira, Show versus Leo Rush, Robbie Eagles versus Yo, TJP versus Teton, Kanamaru versus Desperado, and the main event will be Hiromu Takahashi versus Speedball, Mike Bailey. Then the next night, May 13th, in the Nagano Prefectural Budokan, got TJP versus Kushida, Kanamaru versus Dan Maloney. Taguchi versus Leo Rush, Robbie Eagles versus Clark Connors, Speedball versus Show, Akira versus Kevin Knight, Ishimori versus Teton, 
Bushi vs. Despi, Hiromu vs. Doki in the main event of Yo vs. Master Wato. Then night three, May 14th from the Nagoya International Conference Hall Event Hall. Uh, we'll have Kanemaru vs. Kevin Knight, Taguchi vs. Sho, Bushi vs. Clark Connors, Ishimori vs. Doki, Eagles vs. Akira Kushida vs. Teton, Yo vs. Dan Maloney, TJP vs. Speedball, El Desperado vs. Master Wato, and Hiromu Takahashi versus Leo Rush as the main event. So, three nights packed of action. Looks like a lot of great matches. So, we'll come back and review all those matches next week. And then just one uh, quick news item here. We do have the final card for Resurgence coming up Sunday, May 21st, 8 p.m. Eastern on New Japan World Pay-Per-View. A pre-show that begins at 720 We'll have the finals of the Strong Women's Tournament. The IWGP US number one contenders tournament will also uh, continue as Tanahashi faces Will Ospreay. We'll have John Moxley, Wheeler Utah, and Chota Umino versus Okada, Tomeru Ishii, and our good friend Rocky Romero. The strong title will be on the line as Hikaleo will defend against Kenta. There's going to be a street fight between Fred Rosser and Rock Hard Juice Robinson. Sack Sabre Jr. and Bad Dude Tito will take on Barbaro Cavanario and Virus from CMLL. And then the first two matches will be uh, the Strong Women's Championship Tournament. Willow, Willow Nightingale will take on Momo Kogo. And Mercedes Monet will take on Stephanie Vicker from CMLL. And then for the pre-show, we got Bateman versus the DKC. And the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels versus Alex Coughlin. So, fun card for Resurgence. And we're going to uh, wrap things up here. Uh, long show this week to reviewed on top. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, like, if you didn't say I was going to be like, bro, like, let's just uh, push it all next week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, all the questions we'll, we'll push next week. We, we can push recommended match uh, the next week also. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us. Go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you online. Oh gosh, I don't even know anymore. Um, I guess Twitter, the Chris Samsa, and uh, I will likely have a bunch of, well, a couple of best of super juniors, um, statistics, stats and info pieces going up at njpw1972.com if I get them done in time for them to get them up. Uh, so, you know, uh, but yeah, likely if not, I'll post some really pretty pictures on Twitter. <laughs> So yeah, check out Chris at the Chris Sampson on Twitter. Check out all his online work. Anything going up at sportofprowrestling.com? Um, maybe. I don't know. I, I haven't done a ton with Sport of Pro Wrestling unless there's an active tournament, which obviously we will be heading heading into active tournament season. So I usually will do just kind of a super site. So I will probably do the best super juniors block, uh, like the you know, the, the block updates as well as the, um, what do I call it? The box scores will go up there. So if you go to sportprowrestling.com in the next couple of days, all you'll see is best of super junior stuff. One uh, thing I did see that I just want to make mention of, I saw that there's breaking news that impact is running, uh, shows around the same time as new Japan at Wagga Wagga in Australia. They uh, the New Japan shows have been postponed due to availability, and Impact is actually stepping into those shows. Ah, um, gotcha. Yeah. I saw that as well. Interesting. 
Well, yeah. I figured it was a tie-in, like they were going to piggyback, but I guess not. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I guess, talent availability issues. What was the date for that? Uh, it said like the end of June, beginning of July, I think. So that would be kind of forbidden door season, I guess. I mean, I'm talent. I'm available. I don't know why. <laughs> reach out to me. What are you talented in? Pro wrestling. The Grats. The Techers. <laughs> Take it home, Jerry. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap it up, guys. Next week, uh, we'll come back and review the first few nights of best of Super Junior 30. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuitflex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. Also join us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Instagram. We're at Social Suplex on Reddit on the Pro Black Guy. Just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Somowitz. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam Brown. And The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we'll catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. We'll